Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me this evening. So tonight we are going to talk with my friend Dimitri uh, from Smoke Free Radio about the meeting that he attended with several other e-liquid manufacturers at the FDA with the uh, FDA director uh, for tobacco something or others, Mitch Zeller. Uh, that will be our, our feature topic tonight. I'm also going to talk catch up on a couple of topics I covered in the past, including what's going on with the battle in the in the Senate over NSA surveillance uh, featuring Rand Paul and uh, some police brutality stuff that I've covered in the past. Um, so we'll get to that. Before I get to Dimitri, who will be the first main topic, I just want to talk about something I saw just before the show started. This is about a popular uh, e-liquid, and I think they have other accessories too, but mainly e-liquid manufacturer and distributor Mount, ba Mount Baker Vapor. Um, they started their business in Washington State, and they're leaving. And here's why. This is from an article by um, on the Americans for Tax Reform website. Mount Baker Vapor, an electronic cigarette and vapor product business based in Bellingham, Washington, announced today that they will be relocating their business operations to Mesa, Arizona, due to legislative pressure. In their announcement, they explain legislative pressure from Washington State has made it clear that they no longer offer a suitable environment for a growing business in the vaping industry. That pressure has come in the form of proposal to ban online sales and the imposition of astronomical taxes ranging as high as 95%, both proposals from Democratic Governor Jay Inslee. Quote, these bills are a clear existential threat to our business, Mount Baker Vapor explains. Even if, the even if the bills did fail, Governor Inslee has another year left in office and has made it clear that he will continue tormenting our industry. The vaping industry and the consumers who are using the products have been a top target for state lawmakers since the products began gaining popularity among smokers looking for an effective way to quit with a healthier alternative product. Uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit. Arizona is a far friendlier business than states like Washington. Governor, De uh, Governor Doug Ducey, Republican Arizona, ran for office on a platform of significantly reducing the income tax. He has rejected many nanny state proposals like plastic bag bans and cutting spending by hundreds of millions of dollars in just one year. I want Arizona to be the best state in the country to work and do business with, Ducey remarked in March. Mount Baker Vapors' move to Arizona makes it clear that businesses looking to escape high taxation and unnecessary regulations have a friend in Governor, Governor Ducey and the state of Arizona. Enjoy, another company that produces and sells e-cigarettes and vapor products is also headquartered in Arizona, Scottsdale, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Though a Democrat lawmaker proposed imposing sin taxes on e-cigarettes this year, the bill got no traction, didn't come up for a vote, and garnered no support from the governor. Mount Baker Vapor employs more than 100 people in Washington and expects to be fully operational in Arizona later this year. Might Arizona become the Silicon Valley for electronic cigarette companies looking to relocate to more business-friendly states? Only time will tell. That's a good question. Here we have, which has got to be the biggest uh, e-cigarette or e-liquid manufacturer in the state of Washington, leaving 100 employees. That's a big business. I mean, it's not Fortune 500 big, but certainly for this industry, it's big. And honestly, for the state of Washington, it is a big business. 100 employees, I mean, for all they care about, getting tax money, that's millions of dollars in tax money that just flew away. Sales tax, all the, all the employees, the business, all that stuff is gone, never to return. 
And at the end of this article, they ask, might Arizona become the Silicon Valley for electronic cigarette companies? Good question. Why? Well, they're right next to California, and we know what's going on there. You know, when I saw this article, I was I was sad and happy at the same time. I'm sad that a, a successful business has to spend tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars to, re, to relocate their entire, everything. They, they have to change their life, and that comes at a high cost. So that's sad. But I'm happy to see that they're taking the Gultz way. Gultz Gulch way, I guess, if you guys are familiar with that. When it gets, when it gets to be too much, you just leave. It surprises me I haven't seen similar announcements from companies, and maybe I've just missed them, correct me if I'm wrong, in the state of Indiana, where the situation is as dire as, as conceivable. It, it's, it's, more, it, it's almost unbelievable what they have coming, and it's going to hit in a year, I guess, or less. Why they haven't gotten the fuck out of I don't know. Um, it's a hard choice, and it's, a, it's an expensive choice, but... It's something that probably resonates with these legislators more than anything. If you push us too far, we're just going to leave and we're going to go somewhere else that's a lot more friendly. And then you get no money. You get nothing from us. Okay. And that is the part of the show where my cat jumps on my switchboard. I'll end this rant, fix my computer, and start the show. Thanks, everybody. I've been doing the show going on five years now. And not one time has, has there ever been some technical snafu that has not happened. And I thought that was going to be tonight. But thanks to my cat, I can only hope and pray when I turn this knob that Dimitri will be there. Dimitri, are you there, sir? What's up, Russ? All right. Good, me? good, good. I hear you loud and clear. Thanks for calling in tonight. After all these <laughs> Say again? Thanks. After all these have known better to get here at nine o'clock too <laughs> oh yeah oh, come on but at least that's at least that's consistent so you know before we begin on this topic did you uh, did you happen to see that uh announcement that i just uh, read or it doesn't matter you heard it but what do you think about that big big e-cigarette company moving states big deal um they're a big you know all things considered a fairly large company what do you think about that and has this happened before or and, and i've just missed it it's happened, uh, I think Electronic Six, one of the original online vendors, pulled oh, yeah. out of Utah to yeah. another another when all the shit start happening over there. Uh, and Arkansas, I've had two e-liquid manufacturers contact me about moving, coming down to Tennessee, as well as Indiana, after that bad bill that was passed this year. Um, they've been looking to relocate. And um, I knew about this Mount Baker vapor uh, uh, transition moving moving away. I think uh, first of all, what I want to say is I want everybody out there to amplify this. 
we need to share this story as much as possible. So social media, anywhere you can, get that story out, send it to your newspapers. This is a great tool for us to use in the future, especially in states that propose taxation or propose regulations that will restrict legitimate businesses like Mount Baker Vapor with 100, 100 employees. Are you kidding me? That's an economic force in the state. I don't care who you are for a small company, right? Not, not mm-hmm. a corporate-owned company. Um, so we can use that as a tool to our legislators. In fact, I am going to use that when I go to D.C. next week. Uh, we're having the spot of fly-in with vendors from the state of Tennessee meeting with our legislators and show them, hey, look, look what could possibly happen in your state. And um, the other thing that I want to say on that is that imagine if if it was five companies you know, coming together or, or a lot of shops coming together in a state, right? Uh, something that we've been very vocal about here in Tennessee. We've got 65 shops under the TSFA umbrella, the Tennessee Smoke Free Association. We represent about 500 employees in the state, and we also represent almost 900,000 square feet of occupied retail space. So you can imagine what kind of impact that would have if we went, you know, that's a good thing about being organized. You can go to a state legislator and say, hey, hold on a second. This is 500 jobs in Tennessee. I mean, we are a huge economic workforce. 500 families are living off this this industry. So, I mean, from, from an economic standpoint, I think it's it's great. Um, it's a great tool. It's unfortunate for that they have to move. Uh, I know they liked it over there, and I know a lot of their employees were happy. I don't know how many they're going to be able to take with them. But the reality is that a lot of people will lose their job there, and, and that's, the, that's the only unfortunate thing in the, in the whole situation. Kudos to them for standing up and, and doing a PR on it as well, too. I think it's, it's vital for the legislators to understand what they voted in. Totally agreed. So anyway, listen, uh, what you were... What you're here to talk about tonight is the meeting that you were at. Well, it was about a week ago or so um, with uh, FDA uh, Director Mitch Zeller. Now, for those of you living under a rock, Mitch Zeller, uh, he, he's he holds in his hands the I mean, it's, it's not just one person, but more than any one person. He holds the keys to our future, whether or not it's going to be disaster or whether or not it's going to be manageable when the uh, FDA deeming regulations go out. It's, he, he, he's the guy. He's the guy at the FDA that's calling all the shots. So you and several other e-liquid manufacturers sat down with Mr. Zeller, and I'd like to hear about it. But but first, what was the what was the scope of the meeting, and what were you expecting going into it? First of all, thanks because I have a a, a pre-planned meeting tomorrow night, so I will not be able to do smoke-free radio. So I figured it was a good opportunity to come on. A lot of people have been asking me about it, and I've been kind of directing them that I'm going to do a podcast, so I might as well get it out with you. Uh, and I always enjoy hanging out with you. So thanks for that. Sure. Um, let me let me backtrack a little bit uh, how we got to the point of having a meeting with with Zeller. Uh, we we've been you know I, you know, I obviously uh, COO from Mountain Oak Vapors. I do a lot of the regulatory affairs uh, and and just monitor the situation what's happening you know on a federal and a state level. That's my primary job with the company and something that I do very well. I'm on top of things and and um, I try to get involved in all sectors of the industry yet it be on a federal regulation or state regulation or even a local regulation level. So uh, the first presentation that I did back in January when I went to China, they asked me, what do they do? I believe that the biggest FDA regulatory hurdles are for the industry right now. And it's ironic this started back then, right? Because uh, I sat down with with a few people that uh, there are public policy people uh, like Jeff Steyer, attorneys like Azeem. Uh, Dr. Gilbert Ross, a lot of these people that I really look up to, Clive Bates, um, and, you know, just started, started asking questions. Of how do I present this? I mean, we know some of the, 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 
the struggle that the FDA has in regulating the product into a category such as tobacco control, which it really does not fit, right? You know, they're trying to take the square and put it into a to a circle, and this doesn't work that way. Right. So back then, Russ, I said I, I brought up the four top hurdles, and and for me at that time, the top four hurdles were very very simple. Uh, I'm going to start from four going all the way up to one. Okay. Number four was efficacy in uh, substituting smoking. That it's not proven that, that, that this product is effective uh, to to help uh, smokers quit. I think that is uh, that is something that's being mentioned a lot by the FDA. You'll see it in every post that the, that the FDA and the CTP makes, and even Mitch Zeller has said it. We just don't have data to 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 see if this product, you know, helps people quit smoking. Uh, and uh, I think that is something that we can combat. I think that we can we can provide studies. I think obviously there's 15,000 vape shops in the United States. I mean, they're selling this product to somebody, right? Again, I think it's something that we could easily defeat if we had to go into a court of law to challenge the, the upcoming regulations. Uh, number three, the material safety, which is extremely important. You know, the, the metals that are being used, the plastics, the coils, the type of wire, the type of wicking material. Uh, again, that is something, you know, we've seen in the past with the FDA that has put out these studies with um, um, particles, metal particles coming out in the vapor and formaldehyde. And, you know, and uh, I mean, I can go on and on, but you, you catch my drift. Again, I think that that is something through testing that has been done. I think we have a lot of data right now, but with data that we can possibly do uh, in the future on the metals and the plastics and the types of wires that we're using to, again, have science back up our claims that that these products are way way less harmful than than traditional tobacco cigarettes. Number two was nicotine delivery. Uh, you know the 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 inconsistent delivery of of nicotine to the user uh, in the EU specifically in the tobacco products directive. It has been mentioned uh, on the consistent. Uh, you know how do you know the consistent delivery of nicotine to the user, right? Uh, and everybody has their own style. Everybody, you know, I vape for three seconds, you vape for four seconds, you know, I vape, uh, you know, higher milligram, lower milligram, and so forth and so forth. However, the first study that, we're, that we did, and this study was done with uh, the money that we got from the Chinese manufacturers, and Dr. F has done the study. I can't speak very in detail about the results because it's pending uh, publishing in, in, a, in a journal. However, I will tell you that the results were fantastic. In fact, the results of, you know, we tested second and third generation atomizers. I'm saying we, but he did. <laughs> I don't want people to, to, to mistake that. However, you know, we tested uh, the, the newer tanks, like the Subtank, the EVOD, the Atlanta, some of the, the, the new generation, what we call new generation atomizers, as well as devices, variable voltage, variable wattage devices, and so forth. And, uh, and the consistency of nicotine delivered to the user was on par with a nicotrol inhaler. I mean, to me, that is tremendous news. I think this study is going to have a huge impact um, and way better than a cigarette, by the way. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. So, again, how much, that, how, much we, how much better than a cigarette? About 60 percent. Interesting. OK. And, and that's yeah, and that's pretty it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, because if you think of how a cartomizer works and how the e-liquid is being taken, you know, first of all, it doesn't have the power. So the, the coil that's in the middle is inconsistent, uh, you know, on, on how it's going to deliver the nicotine. Sometimes you have to prime it. You know, I don't know. I mean, you remember back in the days when you were using cigarettes, you know, you got to prime it to get the, start, get the thing start warming up. Plus how the fluid sits into the cartomizer. Sometimes you get less liquid going to the coal. Sometimes you get more depending on where the e-liquid's positioned inside the cartomizer and so forth. I don't want to get too, too technical, but you, get, you catch my drift. Of course. So, and then number one in my list, and these, these are slides that are available. I've posted them on Demi Sphere back when I did this presentation, is flavors. Uh, 
Uh, and that is broken down into a couple of subsections, obviously accessibility of e-liquid uh, to, to minors and also uh, marketing uh, that is attracting, to, uh, attracting uh, children not needed by the adults. According to the FDA, that only prefer tobacco flavors. I think to me, that is the number one issue that we have with the FDA. And, and, and I kind of got rewarded on that prediction because leading up to this meeting, I think it was clear evident, uh, especially after the, the, the last few pieces that we've seen coming out from Zeller, uh, you know, I can take you back to the New York Times um, uh, interview that he did uh, here about a couple of weeks ago. I think it was May 26th, uh, where he, he basically said that uh, one of the impediments to the debate of electronic cigarettes is that e-cigarette opponents are focused on all flavors available in e-cigarettes, many of which would seem aimed directly at teenagers, as well as their marketing, which is often a throwback to the bad old days of big tobacco. The debate has become about these issues, and it's just hardened both sides. This is quoting Zeller. He believes strongly that kids should be discouraged from using electronic cigarettes. You know, he's not a nicotine proponent. He's not an opponent either, right? I mean, he recognizes that smoke is the killer, and, and nicotine, if you put it in a patch, it becomes a pharmaceutical product that does not harm, right? He gets that. However, he is not a nicotine proponent. I, I, I truly believe that. And and uh, the, the the gentleman that wrote the New York Times article you mean, certainly do, agree with me. You, you mean he's not he's not specifically against nicotine. He's he's not opposed to nicotine. He's opposed to well how it gets into you. Nicotine going to adolescents, going to youth, going right. to kids. Right, right. Um, when he was in Chicago, he spoke he spoke highly about that. I mean, his his. Uh, his presentation in Chicago at the Spada conference was telling on, you know, when he's using claims like you know, how it affects the adolescent brain and the development of the brain and, you know, how we get the nicotine products to the kids. And um, so we begin this, this little conversation going on. What can we do as an industry to show to the FDA that we are not marketing to kids? The problem that we have, Russ, is that you can't deny um, personally, I said this on smoke free last, last week, I personally, I don't believe that there's any vendor out there that specifically wants to sell these products to the kids. So I need to get that out of the way. I don't think anybody creates a product that says, you know, I'm going to create a marketing campaign to target 15 year olds. I just don't think that's happening. However, you can't deny that there's a lot of products out there on the market right now within the industry that give the perception that they're marketing to kids. Well, so, you, you know what, you, you know what, Dimitri, the, it, it also kind of begs the question, though, that we know what is what kind of marketing is successful to adults for adult products. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's because of, well, well, some of it, certainly for tobacco, you know, they're not allowed to use things like Joe Caminal anymore uh, by law, as far as I know. Uh, but to, but to like liquor and, and, and other adult oriented products whatever they may be you know you don't see the kind of advertising that you do see with e-liquid i'm not saying i agree with you i don't think that they are trying to target 15 year olds i do think they're trying to target 18 year olds but even then i don't understand why they make these choices of you know little you know cutesy little cartoon animals with, with balloons and candy canes and, and, and stuff like that. I, I don't see how that's attractive to adults, yet it's rampant. Why, why do you think they're doing this? I, 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 I don't think it's good marketing. Uh, 
well, I mean, you're going to have to ask them, I guess. Uh, I, I mean, I can't speak on why they're using that type of, of marketing and, and labeling. You know, I mean, it's the hot thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe the industry, you know, I can. my personal opinion, I don't know why they're using those labels, but I think on a broader scope, Russ, I think the industry as a whole has shifted trying to attract the smoker and is competing for the existing vapor because vaping has become so big. Which is a huge mistake, in my opinion, not only from a business plan, but, you know, uh, in general, we started this as tobacco harm reduction, trying to reach smokers. Right. So I think a lot of the companies, instead of trying to reach the, the smokers that are out there, kind of shifted their, their, their marketing campaigns to to compete for the existing vapor market that's out there. That's just my personal opinion. I don't I mean, I don't know. Do you agree? Well, yeah, I mean, but the, and that I don't have a problem with. I just I don't see how that kind of advertising with little cartoon characters, you know, things that. It really does. I, I, I don't I can't really blame at this point, though. It's so rampant and it's and it's so it's so extreme at this point what they're doing with these with these bottles in the marketing. Um, I can't blame these anti smoking groups for thinking that they are that, that we are going after children. I, I mean, if I was looking at these products for some other, you know, some other industry, you know, without knowing anything else, I'd say, well, of course they're marketing to children. Look at these things. I, who, how can you argue with that? Well, I think I'm going to get to that point later on, but I can use it now if you want to. Yeah. It's plain and simple. Right. When a politician raises a bottle that has a cartoon character on it in a congressional hearing or in an open hearing where the TV is on C-SPAN and it's playing, it happened last year with Rockefeller when he did that, that hearing where he grilled the Mitch Zeller and, and the NJ people and, and whoever else was there, I don't remember, the Altria guy, whatever. When this, when this politician raises this bottle, society, and I'm talking about people that don't smoke and don't vape, okay? Public opinion is going to look at him. It's going to say, man, this guy is right. Why would you put, you know, why would you put Frankenberry on a nicotine product? It makes no sense at all. Obviously, this industry, and I'm talking about public opinion, and, and we, we're losing public opinion. I mean, you can, you can tell that, but... Public opinion is going gonna, is gonna to side with that politician that is bringing this question up. And that is extremely detrimental to the industry as well, too, because that will discourage them to, number one, promote this to the smokers. If they have somebody in their family that's a smoker. And number two, it loses credibility for the industry. I totally agree with you. I don't know why it's happening, uh, but apparently, the, 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 you know, checking on social media and, and Facebook posts and, and stuff that I've seen around, the number one answer I get is because we can because it's a free country. And apparently a lot of manufacturers don't understand that this will be regulated under the CTP as a tobacco product. Now, do I agree with that? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I've been vocal about that for the last four years of advocating, but that is the reality. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult proposition when you try to say, you know, to regulate this industry. We've seen it in the past with other subjects that have come up for us. Yet it'd be a battery, yet it'd be dicetal, yet it'd be whatever it's going to be. When, when you try to self-regulate, immediately the industry fires back and they say, well, we don't want this. We have the right. We have the freedom to do what we want to do with our labels. And, you know, they're partially right. There's nothing out there right now to stop them. But that's coming, right? It's coming. And when it comes, it's going to come with a blanket because the FDA now, at this stage of the game, it's impossible for them to come out and say, okay, well, you're okay. You're okay. Nope. Your labels are not okay. Your labels are not okay. There's over 6,000 juice makers in the United States for crying out loud. It's impossible logistically for the FDA to control this at the scope that it is now. So they're going to come out with something. 
that's just gonna wipe everybody out, uh, and th and that's 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 my prediction. Yeah, I, I but I, I, I just to jump, I agree with you that I don't like the government telling you what you can and cannot do to market your product. I see it as a First Amendment issue, and I take I take that amendment very seriously. So in that respect, yeah, of course it's legal for now, and perhaps that is the route that they could take if they don't want those rights taken away. Some sort of a First Amendment lawsuit, I think you'd find a lot more federal judges sympathetic towards that than some of the other avenues that we have. But that being said, um, free speech is is good that it exists, but that doesn't mean that you should be stupid with your speech. Just like the Westboro Baptist Church, I, I defend the right to do what they do and say what they say. That doesn't mean I like them. In fact, I, I don't. I think they're assholes. But that being said, putting this kind of stuff on a label, yeah, it might be your right to do it for now, but why not think about like, first of all, for sure, think about it from a sales perspective and maybe try to find a better solution that doesn't market tickets because it's all that anyone's looking at at this point. Well, one of, one of the strongest things, according to you in this meeting, that people are looking at, and it's just going to infringe on your rights later. You're, ma you're making it harder for yourself, and it doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to do it this way. You could do it a better way and not impact your sales. So why bother? Why do it? It's stupid. Sure. It's the easiest thing for manufacturers, by the way, to adjust, right? You don't have to adjust the recipe. You don't have to adjust your manufacturing practices. You, all you have to do is just change your label. It's really not that difficult. But um, by the way, this meeting was solely on marketing to kids, by the way. This is the only thing that was discussed. Uh, I just want to put that out there. So, uh, you know, some manufacturers got together. At Given that SPOTA conference, it was, was great because there was a bunch of manufacturers there. So when the, when the SPOTA conference was over, we all got together. There was about 16, 17 manufacturers in a room um, at the hotel where, where, where the SPOTA conference was going on. And we sat there for four hours, Russ, and I believe in four hours we were able to do more on, on, on an industry standard than what's been probably attempted in the last five years. And I'm including AIMSA, which is the American E-Logo Manufacturing Association. We sat down and we just basically talked. I mean, this is a huge problem. This is a problem that we need to address now as an industry. What can we agree with? What can we, can we find some principles that we can agree with? Something that we can turn over to the FDA and say, hey, listen, it's not as you portray it to be. Is there an issue out there? Possibly. Is there some things that need to be changed? Possibly, but there are a lot of manufacturers that are trying to do the right thing. So basically we came up with a set of principles and the, the principles are very, very simple. Uh, and it wasn't a group that was behind this. It wasn't like Spada or Ames or anybody. It was, nobody was behind it. It was just these manufacturers showed up in a room and said, let's put this out there. Let's see what happens. Let's see if we can get some support and then make it open source for everybody to join up. So basically the principles are very, very easy. Um, you know, we do not sell to, to persons under the age of 18. Uh, we, we agree that all bottled e-liquids should have child-resistant tamper-evident packaging. Uh, we agree that we should do everything in our power to limit online access, which I think is a, is, is a big problem as well, too, right now, Russ. I think there's, there's, there's better ways out there to control the product from, you know, to age-verify online. There's definitely better stuff out there that we can do, and we know that a lot of a lot of you know underage kids are getting stuff online. Is that is that? You uh, see, I, I, I hadn't heard much about that. I, I do know it's pretty easy to just go ahead and one. go online. And the number use, one, I mean, the data is there, and, and you'll see when all these past studies come out from the FDA, you'll see all this stuff. Yeah. By the way, uh, 
uh, the FDA is doing the PATH study, which is 12 universities uh, across the United States are participating. Each, each university is doing a different sector. And, uh, and they're spending a lot of money, $275 million on this thing. It's a well, lot of money. I think I was going to say, I, 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 go think, I think I know where it's going because um, I've never bought alcohol online, but I have bought snus online. And that was not pleasant. It was not a pleasant process. There's extensive verification that you have to do of your age in front of your computer. And then when they come, you have to you have to be there and sign with ID. They can't they can't just put it in your mailbox. So it's um it's not pretty. And I don't really see another way that this could possibly go, which is really gonna it's gonna take there a lot. There is a company up. Aristotle, which uh, actually it's a very legit company. Uh, they do a lot of the politicians online uh, databases for voters. Um, but Aristotle has always been expensive. It's been one of these expensive companies that, that the vaping industry haven't been able to reach. And we kind of reached out to them and we said, can you create a, you know, a platform where the vaping industry can utilize your, your, your security measures and, and make it affordable, make the entry affordable for, for vendors to come out. So that's in the works. We're trying to talk with them. It's about between five. We're trying to bring it down to five to 10 cents a transaction. And they have levels, right? They have, you know, they have like four levels of security. The like first level is, you know, where you put your information and it goes to a government database, checks it. If, you know, if that fails, you can go on to level two, which is, you know, you have to uh, answer some questions like, where was your second car? Where did you live in, you know, in 2003 and so forth and so forth. And if that fails, it goes to the scanning process where you scan your ID. And then I think number four levels where you're actually on a camera with, with a representative from, from the company and you have to hold up your driver's license or something like that. I mean, it's, it, it's, it gets weird, but there is, there is avenues out there that we can use. It's just something that we brought up because in the FDA's eyes, uh, a program like Aristotle has validity. This is legit, right? So you know, at least we're trying to show that we're trying to do something yeah, that, that can limit it, the online. It's good that these things are being brought up to them because if they're not, and, and if there there are no suggestions given from the industry, they're just going to go by what right. they know, which is, you know, what they have for alcohol and, 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 you know, tobacco currently, which is a very repressive, very not fun process. So it's good that these things are being brought up. At least it gives them it gives them some alternatives to consider. Ultimately, I think they're going to do whatever they want and whatever's easiest for them, but it's nice to help. Well, it's, uh, that was the ultimate goal of this. Let's sit down. You know, we're not getting any guidance from the FDA, which is a huge problem. And I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit, but this was just here. Here's what, here's what we came up with as, as manufacturers. And we want to get your feedback on it. And you know, what do you feel, you know, how do you feel about it? Um, anyway, let me finish up on these principles here and I'll get to the meeting itself. Yeah. Um, age, age verification online, age verification retail, uh, that we want to help, uh, you know, they're the ones that the, the e manufacturers that distribute to retail stores to, to help the retail, um, space, uh, card people that appear to be under 27 as required in most tobacco laws, uh, across the United States. Obviously that might change depending on state to state. Uh, we also put in their marketing materials that, and, and this is a little bit tricky, we agree that marketing uh, imagery, uh, nomenclature, and product uh, naming must not target persons under the legal of, uh, age of purchase. And that is really vague, right? I mean, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a line kind of issue, and, and, and I'll explain a little bit more. Uh, we also touch on flavorings because flavorings are extremely important. Um, we believe that flavors play an important role in providing adult smokers an appealing and satisfying alternative to combustible tobacco. So we put that in there. It's not that we're, you know, anybody's against flavors. They're vital for the success of this product for adult smokers. And finally, that it's an open invitation and we encourage everybody to, to participate. I think that was 
that was the scope of the that was the scope of the of the principles themselves. And, and and listen, this was hard. It was a, it was a hard discussion because you know we don't know, Russ. Nobody knows what that line is. Like what line you don't cross on the label because the FDA has given zero guidance. In fact, nobody's given guidance on this. This is something that the industry is going to have to figure out by themselves. So um, after this meeting was held, we opened up this uh, within you know, a smaller circle, trying to get about 25 manufacturers on board to sign this, upload their logos, and, and show that they support this. And, uh, and we were successful. I mean, within a couple of days, we had 25 manufacturers that supported this and signed it. And I can go through the list here briefly if you want. Avail Vapor, Ballantine Brands, Beard Vape, Boilermaker, Cosmic Fog, Firebrand, Five Ponds, Good Life, Hingham Hill, Midas Vape, Mr. E-Liquid, Moon Mountain, Mountain Oak Vapors, Mythic Haze Vaping, Enjoy, Oakshire Trading Company, Poet, Propaganda, Pure Backo, Space Jam, The Vapor Bar down there in Texas, Vapor Shark, Villain Vapors, and VMR Products. All these people signed and uploaded the logo, and I had those pa- that paperwork with me with all their signatures uh, that they have supported. And this, this represents a good portion of distribution of e-liquid in the United States. I mean, some big companies in there, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got this signed. We got this paper signed. And then we submitted a request to sit down with the FDA. This happened three weeks ago, by the way. And we specifically wanted to talk about on, on, on this, the, the marketing to kids issue. The FDA, this is unheard of. The FDA, not only did they accept it, but they rushed it. So we actually got in before the FDA workshop started, which was last Friday. I didn't go to Miami. I went to the FDA. Um, and, and we were able within three weeks, again, not being represented by any association, just a group of manufacturers. Obviously, you know, we, we put the invitation out there, anybody that wanted to attend from that, from that 25 group. And I think we ended up being 12 manufacturers. We had a couple of, uh, of FDA attorneys with us as well uh, that ended up going into this meeting in Washington with, uh, with Mitch Zeller. So let me, so b- before, you, the, before you talk about, what does that mean? Because what, what you're talking about is no formal association just reaching out to the FDA and saying, hey, we want to talk. Now, if, if they had told you, okay, we'll put you on, if, if they had told you, hey, we'll put you on the books in two months, that probably would have been a fairly acceptable or, or uh, expected answer. Yet they, they rushed and put you on in a fortnight. Why did they do that? What's the significance of that? I think the significance of that is that they they believe that we heard to what their concerns were. And this is what Mitch said at the meeting. He says it, it was commendable and, and surprising that you were able to get this done uh, and listen to the concerns. You know, you, you, the FDA is very, very tricky. They can't give a lot of information. You just have to listen to what they say and, and try to decrypt it. And, and, and we felt that the marketing to kids is something that keeps bringing up and up. Um, I was at the TMA in Williamsburg, Virginia, two weeks ago, and David Ashley, which is the scientific director for for the for the CTP, said the same thing. I mean, everything that he talked about electronic cigarettes always related back to kids. And for the FDA, it's a net assessment. Net assessment is looking at one side: how can this product benefit public health? And on the other hand, we have youth initiation. So it's a scale, right? It's a scale. So to them, I mean, it, this sounds really grim, but to them. They would rather have smokers die than have kids start. Does that make sense? Sadly, yes. So they, they, net assess, they net assess the product, right? And if they see youth initiation, they don't really care. To them, it's all about limiting this product to the kids. So the significance of this is that you know, they have to answer to, 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 to stakeholders. Anybody that, uh, that requests a meeting, they have to sit down to them. To me, the surprising part was 
that it was not only accepted, it was accepted and and we met with them before the FDA workshop. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we were attended by Mitch Zeller, David Ashley, which is a scientific uh, director, and, and seven people of their staff from various sectors of the, of the CTP. So it was, it was, it, it kind of showed to me, it, it, the other significance to me, it kind of shows, shows to me that this really is a problem. The marketing to kids is, is probably the number one problem with, with the FDA, as it was proven during our meeting with the stuff that was said. Mm -hmm. So they realize it's an issue. They realize that we're trying to do something about the issue. And I think that's why they accommodated to make it that fast that we get there. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions or comments, please do call in. The number is right at the top of the chat, 347-308-8329. Be sure to push one once you hear the show audio. We have a caller in the 770 area code. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, guys, this is Noah with Made Politics. Hey, Noah, how you doing? Good. Uh, this question is for the both of you, uh, but from coming from a consumer perspective, how do we approach shops who have not yet jumped in on this on this new idea, or e-liquid manufacturers who have not yet jumped in on this idea? Great question. Go ahead, Dimitri. Yeah, I mean, I, look again. I think we have the problem, Noah. Thanks for the question. And uh, Russ, I think we have a problem that every time. I've seen it. I've seen the reactions when I try to guide and give some information. We have this knee-jerk reaction, right? Because people feel like you're trying to regulate them. And, and this is not the case. I think to me, the answer is education. We need to educate them that there is a problem here. And once they realize that it's a problem, then they can make the educated decision if they want to contribute to the problem or if they want to help the problem. And, and we've done a poor job in, you know, there's, a, there's, there's shop owners out there that don't know that this product will be regulated as tobacco. That is a reality. I mean, I'm sorry. That's the truth, right? So there's not enough education out there to the retailers and the distributors themselves. How many times have I've heard, you know, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of manufacturers, Russ. They come up to me and they say, you know, how did I miss that? I got so busy, you know, with work and, and you know, these shows that are going on and all. They don't, they, they kind of miss the, the serious stuff that's going on in the back back end. And I've attended every conference this year representing my company, and, and I've seen it firsthand. This is the problem. This is the this is top priority for the FDA is the marketing to kids. And you know, I used to I said it by myself all the you know the past six months. Now there were sixteen manufacturers in that room with me that all saw the same thing. So this is not just me saying it. You can reach out to anybody that was in that room, and you can and you can ask them, and they'll tell you exactly the same thing. So educate them, tell them that there's a problem, but don't say, you know, to me, I think it's, it's wrong when we go and say, oh, you know, take this out, take this out. Take it. No, just say, this is the problem. You make the decision afterwards, what you want to carry or what you don't want to carry, but make that decision based on the facts and what we, what we know is the issue right now. So education, Noah. Uh, um, awesome. I'll put in my two cents for you, Noah, uh, just as a consumer, not involved in the industry as a consumer. Well, don't buy that stuff. Um, so that's simple, but your question was more for the vape shops. I can tell you what I know from uh, my friend Kevin, who does a show here every Sunday on uh, VP Live. Kevin manages a vape store in Connecticut. Um, if he, when he gets samples in of bottles that have cartoon characters and you know cutesy stuff that that looks like it would be uh, attractive to kids, he throws it away. He doesn't consider that. He won't carry it in his store. So as a consumer, um, maybe, I'm hoping, you have a like-minded store in your area. 
And you probably, well, you almost definitely have a store that does carry these fruity flavors, these are uh, not fruity flavors of fruity advertisements, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Go, go to them and say, hey, listen, um, I'm here to buy this and that, but I'm just curious, why, why do you carry a bottle like that, 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 that has that little, you know, cartoon doggy, you know, or, or whatever? You'd be like, you know, not for nothing. I can get this stuff from XYZ Vapor Shop down the down the street. And honestly, I'd rather support a store that isn't um, promoting marketing that's going to be damaging to us in the in the future. So, um, you know, you know, see you later. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. That's probably the most effective right. thing you could you could you could say to a shop. I'm I'm taking my business elsewhere because you're doing this. You're supporting this. Right. Yeah, I mean, speaking with your wallet is obviously the 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 easiest thing. I think there's a lot of intimidation by vapors. I think we're seeing a shift. I don't know if you've noticed that, Russ, especially the last week, a lot of people have been vocal about it. You know, JT and John Denver that were on the show last week, and Noah himself came to me at VapeCon and told me, you know, I, you know, I didn't see it from that light. Now I see a little bit better. I think we're seeing a shift, people being more vocal about it on social media. I think before there was a little bit of hesitation. You know, I'm going to get flamed. I'm going to get made, made fun of. But I think there's a lot of people that think like that. that you know, there's a fanboyism effect. You know, oh, I'm not going to get my free bottle of juice from this guy if I say anything. You know, so I think there's a lot, a, a lot of that mixed in there. But I think that we are starting to see a shift, and we also seen a shift by stores. Just this past week, I saw three stores posting that they're taking a stance on on the labeling of the product. And for me, going back to what you said about Kevin Russ, also send the, the manufacturer that sent you the seed liquid a note saying, "Hey, listen, I tried your flavors; they're good flavors, but I'm not going to carry them because I don't believe these labels fit my image." So. If you redesign your labels in the future, maybe I'll take it. You know, because there's a lot of good e-liquid. You know, there shouldn't be the label that stops you from buying the e-liquid. In fact, I made a suggestion um, with Ch in Chattanooga this past week when we had VapeCon. I was discussing it with a lot of manufacturers that were there. When, when you go into a store, Russ, the first thing you do is sit down at the bar or the testing station that they have, and they, you try the e-liquid, right? Mm-hmm. If you like the juice, what the fuck doesn't matter what the label is? You know, I mean, if you like the juice, you're going to buy it. At that point, you've, you know, your product has already made the sale. So, you know, trying, try that route before trying to sell a product simply because of the label. I think it helps a lot as well. I think so too. Noah, great questions. And thanks for the tweets tonight. Absolutely. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on to a caller in the 570 area code. Area code 570, you are on the air. <clears throat> hey, Russ, it's Chris. How you doing, sir? Hey, what's going on, Chris? Nothing. Um, I just wanted to call, and um, I just can't offer enough praise for Dimitri and Jeremy and um, all the vendors that went to the FDA and had this meeting. Um, I know it's uh, some of these topics that this meeting raises are very controversial, um, and they're causing a little bit of dissension in the community. But uh, Dimitri's leadership on this and, and that of others um, is just so vital right now. I mean, people, re we really need to work to try and um, bring more legitimacy to our industry through getting rid of some of the some of the labeling that's uh, IP infringement, uh, sexual content, things that um, what could can be accused can accuse us of of attacking kids. And I, I mean, I think the important thing to realize in this is that no one in this industry is really trying to market to children, but in politics. Uh, reality and truth go out the window and everything is centered around perception. Um, if, if our enemies can create a perception in the general public uh, and in certain legislators that we are trying to market to children, 
It's very, very bad for us. We're in a delicate position right now. Um, and without this work that Dimitri, uh, Jeremy Dollar, uh, Daniel Walsh, and all the other people that went to this to the to the meeting with the FDA went and did. I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what we do where we're at, you know, without that kind of thing. So. Chris, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for the. Con- I, I think you're right. I, you touched you touched on a very good point, Chris. That I want to kind of expand a little bit. It is the perception here that is killing us. And it's also the position that the FDA is in. Specifically, Mitch Zeller said, I want to get past this issue so I can look at the other issues with electronic cigarettes. It could potentially be beneficial to smokers. It could be a tobacco harm reduction tool. But we can't get past this subject of marketing to kids. That is extremely important coming from the head of director of the CTP. When he goes, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate that the industry is paying for this, Chris, but when he goes to the Hill and he talks to politicians and a politician picks up a bottle and says, how do you, the CTP director of the FDA, allow this product with nicotine to be on the market and it has a cartoon label? How do you think he feels? <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate, I hate that we're being punished for his position, but we have to put ourselves in his shoe as well, too, right? In the agency's shoes, they have to get this right. They fucked up in the past, back in the 80s with the tobacco companies. They can't fuck up again. Their jobs are at stake here as well, too, right? So I think that the perception that Chris spoke of is the, you know, when you pick up that bottle of juice and your first reaction is, uh, you know, when you make that face for us, like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Then quite possibly that shouldn't be, that label should not be on a nicotine product, period. So exactly. <laughs> It is what it is, but it, that's the that's the reality, and that's the reality that the industry faces. If I didn't see it, you know, I mean, I I I, I sp- I've spoken about this. I've been very vocal, about it, especially the last six months. I've, been, I've always said that I believe it's the number one problem. But we saw it with our own two eyes coming straight from the mouth of the director. This is a problem. This is an issue that they can't get past. And how do they correct that issue? I don't know. I can't give you that answer. But I can tell you one thing: it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty for anybody. Yeah. Well, I think I know. Is 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 uh, is is they're going to be out of business? Yeah, I I, I think I know where it's yeah, going I, I, because I, think I know where it's going because I'm getting an echo here. Hold on. Hey Chris, hold on one sec. Hey Chris, make sure. Yeah. yeah. Check check. Shit. Stand by. Wouldn't be click bang. No, certainly wouldn't. Check check. Okay. Dimitri, you don't happen to be on a on a speakerphone or anything like that, do you? I'm on my board. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll try. So I think I know where it's going um, because we already know what they want. What they want, they've already tried and failed with tobacco in this country, although in other countries they've been successful. They want plain packaging. For example, in Australia, um, I believe they've instituted it at this point. You know when you go into like a CVS or a Duane Reed or anywhere to buy, uh, you know, cigarettes, you see behind the counter is the wall of tobacco. You see all the tobacco products. The e-cigs are lumped in with them now at this point. But you see them. You see them all. And obviously, the familiar brand names, Marlboro, Camel, and, and everything, and Cool, everything else. So you see all that stuff. When you walk into a CVS or their equivalent in Australia, you see nothing. All of the products are behind the counter. You can't see them. In addition, once you do get your product, it is in a plain package. There is no branding on it at all. It is literally, I think it's like a white 
just a white box really with the government warnings on it and, and whatnot. There's very little to tell you even what you've bought. Um, they've tried that in America and, and have failed on, on First Amendment grounds. But um, we know that's what they want. I think that's what we can expect them to try. Sure. Abstinence is the number one goal for them. I mean, they, they don't want you to try any nicotine product. We know that already. However, they, know, they also know that given the, if we can get past the subject, given the relative appeal to the adult smoker is extremely important as well, too. Prime example is Nicorette. When Nicorette came out, it was in a pharmaceutical box. Nobody bought it. So what did they do? They created Fruit Shield and they created Wintergreen or whatever, and they made the box a little bit more appealing. And I actually saw this chart in one of the conferences that I attended uh, this past year where they said, you know, where's that appeal where it goes right into the middle of perception, right? We want to make it appealing to the adult smoker, but we don't want it appealing to the to, to, to children. And, you know, <laughs> if I had that answer, I, <laughs> I would definitely share it with everybody. But I think this is the same thing that has to happen with this product. And we can do it as an industry. We can do it as an industry if we sit down and, and, and find what that line is. But we, we haven't been able to find it yet. Thanks for the call, Chris. I'm going to move on to a caller in the area code of 229. Area code 229, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Hey, Russ and Dimitri. This is Jeremy from Good Life Paper. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy. What's up, brother? Welcome. Hey, uh, I just wanted to put my two cents in there, being a uh, witness at the, at the uh, meeting. Um, Dimitri and everybody can tell you that in, during the meeting, I actually got pretty beat up. Uh, Mitch Zeller targeted my company uh, straight up. And uh, it, it wasn't in regards to children so much as it was in, in regards to adolescent, adolescent males. Uh, I have a product called, well, I had a product called Panty Dropper. And yes, it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that it's not tasteful. And uh, he said, how do you expect me to fight for you whenever you have a person in this room that is here advocating that has this kind of stuff? So, uh, you know, and, and and just to give you a little bit of uh, history on Good Life, as far as our labels go, our actual labels, they're black and black and white labels. They're bare bones that have no characters on them. They're very uh, responsible labels. This was in reference to a picture that was on my website. So, you know, just just to give everybody an idea, because I've been getting beat up left and right on social networks, you know, trying to help out with the cause. Good Life is rebranding a lot of stuff on our website just because we want to show the FDA that we left that meeting taking it serious. You know, hey, um, what, what the Zeller did to, to Jeremy was a low blow, I'll be honest with you, because, you know, and, and, and a couple of people stood up for Jeremy, as they should, because, I mean, where do you draw the line? A penny dropper, is that really marketing to kid? Or is, is that a marketing or is it a morality issue? I mean, you know, I mean, tasteless or not tasteless, that's a determination that an adult can make on the product. However, if, 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 if Mitch Zeller picked this product out, right, and, and had it as, you know, in his pocket as like, I'm going to throw this at him and see what happens. Can you imagine? We're talking about a panty dropper, Russ. Can you imagine what he's going to do with the other products that are on the market that are clearly have children's names in them? I mean, right. forget about it. I mean, if, if that's the extreme they're going to go, um, you know, to me, I commend Jeremy. He took it very well. And after the meeting, I even told Jeremy, I said, don't let this bring you down. I said, this is a great example because what, what we did with the FDA is we're com we told them we're committed 
We're committed to keep this product off kids. And if it takes for us to rebrand our marketing, we're certainly more than happy to do it. So what, what I told Jeremy afterwards to do is take this as a good sign. The next time that we go meet with, with the director, we're going to say, look, we listened to you. I took penny dropper off and I called it whatever I called it. There's a good example of the industry self-regulating. And for that, you have to congratulate Jeremy. I mean, that is a, a vendor that's stepping up and being responsible. And he goes out there on social media and he posts it. And instead of people saying, congratulations, Jeremy, you've done the, the, the right thing. We support you 100%. You have a few people that are out there that are saying, well, fuck the FDA. Well, it doesn't work that way. And Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy you that, can, that was my next point. Is that I've, I, I've been very vocal about this, but it's just been me. But now is a great opportunity that you were there and the rest of the manufacturers to see exactly what I've been saying. Yeah, and, and my point behind my post and, and actually being involved in the conversation after I post something is people kind of have this idea that it's it's kind of like if we are loud and we can speak up and we're we're vigilant to the fact of taking on the FDA that somehow we can win and it's I think that people's perception on that is wrong because this isn't a a fight that we can win without you know doing our part that's that's what I took away from the meeting is that if we don't change as an industry as a whole, if we don't come together and fix the problems that are on the table that the FDA is just throwing at us, you know, giving us this handout. I mean, how lucky are we that they even took the time to tell us this is what I think, this is what I think. They could have said, fuck you, we don't want to tell you anything. Absolutely. And we could be completely blind to it, but we're lucky enough to know what we have to fix. Now it's yeah. time for the industry, the consumer, the shop, the distributors, everybody to stand up and say, look, we don't tolerate it anymore. Right. If we want to survive, if we want to keep vaping and not have it as a black market, stand up for your, what you're doing. Take, take, a, take a hit to yourself. If your juice is good, stop putting it out there as kids let it be good i i totally agree with jeremy i think the, i think the juice to speak for itself i think that the marketing employee obviously has shifted because of the competition uh again going after the vapor instead of going the smoker has shifted to edgy and and uh and controversial if you want to call it that and who's gonna who's gonna outdo the next person and and that's not what tobacco harm reduction is about and at the end of the day you know, as Jeremy said, this is a, this is a group effort. This is not just Jeremy standing up or me representing MOV or the other companies. That this is a group effort that's been opened up to about 25 manufacturers so far. And I'm sure when this thing launches public within the next 24 to 48 hours, I think more people will come on board. I think we have a consensus. I think we have a lot of people that are like-minded, but we haven't had any guidance. Now that we saw it with our own eyes and we saw what the problem is, it is up to us, the industry, to self-regulate and fix that problem. Instead of us waiting for the FDA to come down with a hand, it's going to eliminate everybody. So here's the thing. what Jer Everything that Jeremy said, I, I'm, I'm on board. And as a consumer, well, I've already been doing that, but I think other consumers might be persuaded as well. But that's the thing. That's what this hinges on. We have a very, very short period of time to actually convince the manufacturers with our pocketbooks that we will not buy these products. Um, is that realistic? Uh, yes. I think I think that we can actually take it a step further. Uh, Good Life's plan, I'll tell you, I'll lay out exactly what our plan is. We sell to over 250 shops uh, worldwide. We're going to do our research. We have our sales team 
that is going to take time from adding new shops and adding new accounts to where the next 30 days their job is to get on the phones, to get in social media, to find out what other brands that these people carry. If uh, it's going to cost us money, it's going to cost us a lot of revenue, but if we have, if we're selling to irresponsible vendors, we will buy back our liquids and not allow our liquids to be sold next to uh, these these brands that are out there. If we have a show where we ha- we go and we exhibit our product, if we find out that an irresponsible vendor is there, we will back out of the show. We will not give money to any source that is backing up uh, these vendors. And, and that's and that is that is a. I mean, Russ, think about it. Can you imagine if if you know. Forty percent of the liquid distribution in the United States did that. I mean, for, aside from the fact that you know, I mean, people want to go to the shows. They want to see the big vendors. They want to see all these big names. Can you imagine if they all pulled out? It it, it would end these shows for one. Yeah. And second of all, you go to shows. You have companies that nobody's ever ever heard of. Nobody checks their credentials, their FINs. Nobody checks their their marketing material. Every other expo that you go to, a professional run expo, you have to submit your artwork. You have to submit the products that you're selling. I mean. It, Jeremy's seen it firsthand. I've been with Jeremy to a couple of meets where we saw some products and we're like, what time the fuck is this here? I mean, aside from the trademark infringement and the copyright, forget that. That's the lawyers will handle that. But some of the products that we've seen in the way that they've been marketed, we're like, you know, it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable as well, representing your own brand in, in a setting like that, because it kind of ties you in whether you want it or not. And when that media camera comes in, and, and it hits that booth and you're involved in it automatically, you know, you're assumed to be one of these vendors that, yep. that's irresponsible with their label. Yep. And I think it's a harsh stand, but it's, it's certainly a commendable stand. Well, thank you for the call, uh, Jeremy, and thank you for what you're doing. I think uh, you're what, you know, the stance that your company is taking, it's an extreme one. It's an extremely good one. Um, and I, uh, I hope it, it benefits you in the long run. I'm sure it'll benefit the company in the long run, but thank you for making uh, the temporary sacrifice uh, to do the right thing. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Right on. Uh, see you soon. Let's move on. I be- let's move on. I believe to the state of Utah. Area code eight oh one. You're on the air. Yeah. Hey, Russ. This is uh, Tad Jensen from Electronic Fix in Utah. How you guys doing today? Hey, Tad. How you doing, man? Doing well, thank you. Um, so just. Kind of on the topic here, we've actually got a juice manufacturer here in Utah by the name of uh, Die Hard Vapes. And what he has done from virtually the, the very beginning, and I hope that, you know, there's some some juice manufacturers out there that hear this and maybe it gives them, you know, kind of an, a better idea of where to take their, their labeling. But he his labels are, are super basic. You know, they have the ingredients and everything like that on them. Uh, and his names are actually initials. Uh, so he's got like FB, MN, um, and they all have a meaning behind them, which is kind of, a, uh, you know, kind of known behind the scenes. But like there's there's no crazy coloring. There's no, um, you know, no pictures of, of any kind for that matter. And I've actually kind of started to, to see more and more juice manufacturers, you know, I mean, I get dozens of samples every single week, um, you know, kind of, kind of go that route, but then, you know, you've got the manufacturers that, I mean, they're, they're the exact opposite, you know, they just, they go about as, as cartoony and, you know, to basically just the, the other extreme. So, 
I think it would just be, you know, a positive thing if, if everyone kind of started moving towards that direction. I mean, yeah, it's human nature not to, to enjoy being told what to do, but I mean, like you guys have, you know, been saying forever, you know, either we're going to regulate ourselves and, you know, make some sacrifices or we are going to be regulated by, uh, you know, the FDA and just go away entirely. So I Do think you make at this, when sorry? the products for you for testing, I mean, and you look at it and obviously you have to make a decision, right? Because you do have yeah. a business and you have to get product into your stores, but you have to make a decision right now. Is, is this a brand that I can put on my shelf and feel comfortable about it? And I think if more people spent that time of choosing the product on that kind of a basis, instead of what they saw on Instagram or the hype that's around, a, you know, a label or, you know, the handshakes that are happening on Instagram, I think we could see a shift easily. You know, it's all about the start to finish, in my opinion, not only the e-liquid manufacturer, the marketing that goes with it, ultimately the vape shop owner or somebody like you that handles multiple stores to bring a product in. And lastly, you know, well, your employees, because you have to train them as well, right? You have to train your employees to be able to relay the information to the consumer and then ultimately to the consumer. So it's, it's a five-step process that we're talking about here. It's not just you, but it all starts with people like you that are going to look at the product and you're going to make the determination and say, hey, listen, this is not a product that feel, I feel comfortable with, with carrying in my store. And, and, and once again, congratulations if you're doing that. Thanks much for the call, sir. Much appreciated. We're going to move on to a call in the 863 area code. 863, you're on the air. Hey, Russ and Dimitri, it's JT. Hey, hey JT, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I, I'm still recovering. I kind of lost my voice this past weekend, so bear with me. <clears throat> uh, just like always, both of you guys know I, I pay close attention to what y'all do. And I appreciate it, um, you guys with larger audiences, not shying away from this. Dimitri, we talked the other week, and Russ, I've sent you a message, you know, almost once a week. Thank you for addressing this and giving people like Jeremy and the entire community more voices with the same message. I think it's hammering home and we're gaining momentum. I think you're right, JT. I have seen a shift. I really have. But again, it takes, it's very hard for one person to stand up and say something. It's a yeah. team effort because, you know, you, you don't want to feel, you don't want to be that guy, right? <laughs> and unfortunately, right. In, my, in my past, I've been that guy. And Russ obviously has been that guy where he stands up and he says something that's not popular, <laughs> uh, not yeah, popular it, with the community. But it yeah, does, it, it, uh, this it, industry was built through yeah. us. This, this industry was built through the online community, through YouTube, through podcasts. And, and this is the best medium to reach out and say, hey, listen, this is a problem. Whether you want it, whether you accept it or not, whether you believe it's anti-freedom or not, is irrelevant at this point. We know, Jeremy just said it, I know I was there, and the other manufacturers and the attorneys that were in the room know that right now, according to the Food and Drug Administration, the number one problem in regulating electronic cigarettes is marketing to kids. Period. Period. Right. So this is an issue. So what are we going to do as an industry instead of raising the thumbs and say, fuck them? What are we going to do as an industry to try to correct this? So then we can go back to the FDA and say, Hey, look, don't put restrictive regulations on it. We can do this ourselves. We can regulate the industry ourselves. We can create a product that is marketed to kids, still be delicious and, and, and have the responsibility and the ethics that goes along with selling a nicotine product. At what point did we forget that we sell nicotine? Right. Right. 
it it's it's it really is. Even since the uh the show, you know, your your show the other night, Dimitri, I've had at least three juice manufacturers starting small here in Florida reach out to me and they were extremely excited to tell me that they had new labels being printed up today. I mean, they were literally excited to bring this to me and say, bro, now I get it, I'm changing, and I'm excited to show you what we're doing. So it, you guys have really emboldened um, a lot of other people. So as always, thank you, fellas. I appreciate it, and we all do. We love you too, Jonathan. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to move on to New York, area code 914. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Who's this? Hey, this is Michael from White Plains. How are you doing? Oh, Michael, what's going on? Not much, not much. Um, I actually, I just want to just say that I applaud you guys for actually taking that extra step. And Demetrius, um, you're amazing. Um, actually, you know, there, there's a lot going on in the industry right now. Um, one of the major things that I'm finding is that, you know, convenience stores are selling you know, e-liquid, um, I mean, everyone that I go into, it's just, like, unbelievable. Um, and also, yesterday, uh, Westchester County just banned, um, they they added um, e-cigs to um, the work site law where you're not able to vape inside. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question, Michael. So, Let me ask you a question. You mentioned that, You've seen convenience stores that are carrying e-liquid. I I have not seen that in Manhattan um, very much. I haven't noticed that the bodegas typically sell the stick battery products, CVS and and uh, and Dwayne Reed. They uh, CVS not so much. Uh, Dwayne Reed um, they sell and Rite Aid they sell the stick battery products. I haven't seen really any e-liquid in the bodegas. What are you seeing up in Westchester in terms of what they're selling? Well, they're all over. They're in every gas station. They're in every convenience store. You know, like, it, it, it's it's amazing. Because, I mean, you know, as a vape shop owner, you know, I go into a store, I might get, you know, a uh, soda or, um, you know, a bag of M&Ms. And, you know, they're asking, you know, asking, you know, what do I do? Or, you know, you get to be friendly with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to open up a shop too. You know, and you're like, really? Like, I mean, you don't even know what you're talking about, you know, like, and they want to open up a shop. Like, come on. Down here too, as well. I've seen some shops. I've seen some shops carrying e-liquid. I mean, some a lot of C stores carrying. It. Keep in mind that a lot of the big e-cig companies are shifting to this product, Mystic, and and uh, and enjoy to open refillable. So you're going to see e-liquid at the store. To me, that is a dead proposition. Uh, I saw figures from Bonnie Herzog saying that the average C store sells two bottles of juice a week, uh, Russ, which was amazing to me. And about 200 units of cartomizers. And cartomizers are units. Could be a disposable e-cig, could be a pack of three, could be one single cartomizer. So, average two hundred cartomizers a week and two bottles of e-liquid, ten mil by the way, because they don't carry thirty mils in most of these c stores. So that well, market is dead completely. Yeah, I was going to say, why do they even bother? Two bottles a week. Well, they got, they got, they, they have to because when they carry when they carry the products from one company, they have to carry the products. That's part uh, of the contract. I see. So they're going to have to put the products on the shelf as well too. 
uh, views now from RGR are starting to come in and, and dictate that space as well, just like they did with the with, uh, with the with the cigarettes and their placement of cigarettes behind the behind the counter as well too. So that's shifting a little bit too. But you'll see those little stands that pop up with ten mil bottles inside for like ten bucks, whatever they are. But they're not selling that many. And a lot of these stores gonna you know they have to to a lot of these suppliers have to buy their stock back as well as is what I heard if they want to bring in new stuff. Uh, because the space, the C-store market, is the, the space is very small. So you, imagine a vape shop in a C-store. It's impossible, right, with all the products and the variety and the, and, and, and the different juices and the e-liquids that are, that are available there. So the fact that you can't test the product, you know, there you go. Who's going to buy juice if they haven't tested it? Unless you use that product consistently, you know what it is. You're going to go into a C-store and buy it. And that's generally the people that buy it. Somebody has an ego, has a tobacco flavor, he'll go in there and buy it consistently. But if you can't taste e-liquid, it's it's a it's it's done. So I, I know, but like one of my concerns about that is like you know the actual you know they they're not going to tell the consumer you know whoever's you know buying it you know oh yeah keep this away from your kids or they're not going to you know they're not passing on that information you know the safety you know sure. part. um yeah. you know and that's that's one of my concerns you know and then you know and with the FDA speech today when the poison control center was on. You know, they had said, you know, there was a lot of phone calls, you know, to poison control. Um, it, that that could, you know, very well. You know. It's a little bit misleading, Michael. And I want to say this because when, when the poison control says we had 3,000 calls on, on uh, refillable electronica, well, what were their calls? Oh, I just got yeah, it on my exactly. hand. Nothing right. happened. They're not, they're not giving details. So I wouldn't take those figures to too um too serious and i don't really think that that's really going to affect the fda as far as the the marketing to kids i think what they're seeing is through the pathway studies that they're doing through the past studies that they're doing i think what they're seeing is i think they're they're testing the the virtual shops where they have you know kids going to a virtual shop and see what they're attracted to and if can you imagine if you have a you know a bottle that looks you know they're very child friendly and i don't have, you know, i'm not going to call out anybody you know which ones i'm talking about they're, you know if 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 the kid is attracted to it and goes to that bottle and picks it up or whatever you know this is what they're testing out and and I think that's where this all this this the stemming issue is coming from the FDA that there there is the perception that these products are catering to a market not catering to market they're trying to attract a market that is not the existing smoker and they're they're creating they're trying to create new customers just like the tobacco companies did back in the eighties that is the struggle right. that they have Russ because the tobacco companies did it in the eighties they were trying to entice youth to start smoking. And now we're seeing exactly, and for fucking sakes, I mean, haven't we taken any lessons for what happened in the past? We're doing exactly the same thing. Whether we are, that's our intention is irrelevant at this point. It looks to them exactly, and even more so now, because we do have that variety of flavors, right? But from what they had back in the 80s, we do have, now it's even easier because you can market every, any product out there with so much variety that it, it makes it even harder for them to trust an industry that puts that kind of stuff on labels. Right. And then also, you know, I, I just want to let you know that I also implemented one of the, um, I don't know if this will help anybody else, but it's called BART and Club Scanner. It's actually, a, um, it scans actual IDs um, yeah, sure. for anybody 18 and older. Um, it, I mean, you have to purchase it. I mean, the, the first like 20 scans is like free. Um, mm -hmm. But after that, um, the, you know, you have to pay for it by the year. I think yeah. it's, it might, you know, might be, you know, $150 or so. Um, but, you know, we actually implemented it. I put an iPhone in the shop, 
So we scan anybody's ID that doesn't look, you know, they don't look 35 and older. We scan everybody's ID, um, you know, so I, I don't know if that will help out anybody else, you know, Absolutely. out there. What's $150 to keep legitimate your, your business legitimate? To me, listen, you know, let's not let's not be unrealistic. There's a lot of profit in the e-cigs and e-liquids, so I mean, you can afford. I, I think any any store could afford that to to of at least course. show that this is another way of we're doing of of, of surf regulating. Thanks, right. Michael. I appreciate. It. Hey, thanks, Michael. Let me uh, let's take another call here, Dimitri. Yeah, go ahead. Let me get let me get. Time. I just want to get back briefly. To, I, want, I really want to get to what Mitch Zeller said, which I haven't gotten to this point. Okay, you want to? T- you want to just? There's there's only one more. So you want to just do this call and then we'll go yeah, back to. Sure. Okay, area code four zero eight. You're on the air. Yeah. Hi. This is Ed Wolf calling. How are you? Hey. What's up, Ed? Uh, nothing much. Uh, yeah. Th- I, I kind of have uh, real frustrations with some of the conversation here uh, because the perception is wrong, and. We, as an industry, are not marketing at all to underage kids. And when Dimitri says that it looks like we're doing exactly what the smoking companies, the tobacco companies did, that's absolutely the wrong thing to say, and it's absolutely incorrect. And people really should stop doing it because they're co-opting the arguments of the anti-vaping groups, and they're 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 <laughs> – amplifying what the anti-vaping groups are saying by saying that there's not a single vape shop that can make a good business and stay in business by selling to under 18 year olds. There's not a single vape shop that is selling to under 18 year olds because they will get shut down. And when they have all these different products like cotton candy and whatever on their shelves, it's, they can't stock that and keep that inventory on their shelves and stay in business. If it was just little kiddies buying it. So we need to stop, you know, co-opting and using the arguments of the anti-vaping groups and it's just not the right thing to do well, you're entitled to your opinion and uh it's whether i agree with it or not that's fine i totally respect it well i don't that's think i can take yeah, I, but, but ed i don't think you disagreed with dimitri based upon what you just said you said it, it, we're all in agreement there are no shops that we know of that are uh, that are targeting children for sales However, what you said, to use your words, Ed, to use to paraphrase, uh, uh, paraphrase Dimitri, is that it looks like that it's targeting to children, you know, to an outsider, like, I don't know, somebody who's got a pen and a paper and is in elective, elected office. It looks like it to them. And I don't blame them for thinking that that's what it, that that's what it looks like, because it's what it looks like. Whether or not it's the intent, it is what it looks like. I don't see how you're disagreeing. It, because it's not the truth. It's, and it shouldn't be what it looks like because it's a, it's a crafted argument by the anti-vaping groups. What they do is they, they'll go to a 7-Eleven and take pictures of uh, prepackaged uh, disposables that are near the candy, and they'll say, look what they're doing. Those cigarettes are being marketed to kids. They can craft and manipulate the images and say what they want to say. And when, when vapors are now saying, just like Dimitri did, that it looks like we're doing it and we're doing it. You know, and, and, and there's been enough time where he says, won't tell me we're not doing it because we are. Because you need to stop doing that because you're using the arguments and you're giving them ammunition. And today, or actually yesterday, at the vape, uh, uh, at the uh, 
FDA meeting, what UCSF brought out as marketing to kids had nothing to do with e-liquid. They brought out Hello Kitty drip tips, and they said those drip tips are marketing to kids. So if you keep on using their arguments, you'll lose because you can't go over to their arguments. The fact of the fucking matter is, is that the vape industry does not market to kids, and you need to stop saying it. But, but we all agree. Well, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. It's the fucking truth. That makes no. That makes no sense at all. What you're saying, honestly, <laughs> that's the truth, Dimitri. It really doesn't, because I'm telling you that that don't listen to me. Listen to the manufacturers that sat in that room. We're talking about the FDA and what their number one issue was, and we heard it right from the mouth of Mitt Zeller. So if you're telling me, if you're telling me that we're using the ad, the, the tactics that the antis are using, you're you're to, you totally missed the entire point of this conversation. We're, this is actually a great window of opportunity for the industry to correct the issues that it has. And you're telling me that we're giving the wrong message. That makes no sense at all. It really yeah, I'm saying you're, I'm saying that you are giving the wrong message when you are saying that the vape industry is, is using marketing to kids as a business model. And you said, you just said that we look like, and we're doing what the tobacco industry did in the fifties and sixties and whatever not. Let me if you don't see it out there on the market right now, Ed, I'll, I'll, you haven't been paying attention to the last products that come on the market the last six months. Let me. Uh, so how are you going to fix the Hello Kitty? How are you going to fix the Hello Kitty drip tips? How I'm are you going to fix any of them? I'm selling them for crying out loud. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Now. Have you ever watched like Vapors TV or anything like that? There is a large group of people, the young millennials, that go and are interested in this type of marketing. Just because a kid is interested in something that adults do does not mean that the people selling the product are marketing to kids. Are you going to say that Anheuser-Busch, when they do their uh, Super Bowl commercials with, with Clydesdale horses and puppies, are marketing beer to kids? The alcohol argument is, is moot, Edward. Come on, I thought you were better than that, <laughs> really. Ed, the alcohol is completely irrelevant with our conversation. Ed, let me, let me ask you a question, Ed. So... Here's my, my, my stance is that I think that I, I, I wish we didn't have this mountain of legislation that was, was about to hit. I really wish we didn't because to me, I do think that people should have their first amendment right to advertise their product however they want. Unfortunately, the world we're living in, we do have this coming and now we know, unless you think Dimitri is a complete liar at what happened in that meeting and the other 20 whatever manufacturers that were there, um, it is their number one issue. They're going to come down on this hard. So my solution as a consumer, I'm not going to buy the stuff. And I'm going to tell other people, don't buy it because it's going to hurt us in the long run. What's wrong with that argument? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that way that I choose to conduct my purchases? There's nothing wrong with the way that you are going to do your purchases. You know, that's absolutely fine. But you can't try and assume that the entire industry is going to toe in line because if we go to the city council, they'll pull out a bottle from something from somebody and they'll say, look at this bottle. That means they're marketing to kids. And if you as an industry are saying, well, those, those things are marketing to kids clearly, uh, then it becomes a problem. You have to deal with the facts and ignorance of the facts doesn't make it any better because in our industry, the vapor industry does not sell to kids. We don't do it. 
a market that's going to ha- create those products. That's not the point where we're trying to do. We're trying to tell the FDA to not put restrictive rules on this product to allow those responsible manufacturers that want to sell their product legitimately in this market and not turn it over to big tobacco. It's very, very simple. Yes, there will be a black market. Will it be the guy making juice that's going to put that label on there? Absolutely. They're always going to be that. But if that's what things go by, we sat in that room and Mitzeller specifically said that the number one issue is marketing to kids, right? So what are we going to do to fix it? That is my question. What are you going to do to fix it? Instead, all you're doing is you're saying that we're putting out the wrong message, a message that has been carried very strong, not by me, because I think this is personal with me, but this message has been carried on by a lot of people. So obviously the problem is there, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, that's fine. You have your right. You have your opinion. But if you're going to put your opinion, you need to put the facts behind it as well, too. And you're not doing that. Yeah. The, the Family Control and Prevention Act for, for uh, you know, the, the, the Tobacco Control Act is aimed at marketing, and it's aimed at marketing to kids. They are going to regulate it. That is the basis of how the law was adopted. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> underage uh, tobacco use is the mandate of the law. But you, you can't just co-op the arguments and say that we're doing this because it'll never stop. You, you, you no, no. And, and the, the regulation is coming from it. them. There's a whole bunch of different things. It's not just going to be about marketing the kids. And, and then where do you go next? Like VaporCon uh, Chattanooga had a stripper contest. Now, is that something that should be stopped? It was horrible. But <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. But that's not the issue here. We're not talking about adultery. We're talking about child-friendly labels and marketing to kids. And even though you, you heard Jeremy Dollar even say it earlier, his juice was called Panty Dropper. What does that have to do with kids? And it got called out by Mitt Zeller. What, the, what are you talking? I mean, you're making no sense at all. I, I believe that the products should be labeled well. They should be done correctly. And, and they should have Prop 65 warnings. They should have all that stuff. They should have, uh, uh, you know, websites on them, uh, you know, uh, ingredient listing. All that stuff should happen. But when you... When anybody, and, and don't make it about just yourself, Dimitri, when anybody is saying that we're marketing to kids, it, it, it's just a big problem because the, the, you know, the anti-vaping groups will take it and run with it, and we will never be self-regulated. Regulation is going to come from the FDA. That's what the whole deeming regulation is about. It's coming. You're not going to just be able to say, oh, look, we changed our labels. We're not doing it anymore. FDA, go away. The FDA is here. Thank you for thank you for your call, Ed. Uh, I, 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 I disagree, but uh, value your opinion. So thank you for calling in, sir. Nothing new there. All right. So yeah. anyway, to get back to yeah, and and just just before meeting. you just before you do, I'm not gonna. There are other calls, other callers. Please hang on. I want to allow Dimitri to get back on track here. So go ahead, please. I, I have to get some points across because I, I think Ed hasn't even heard what ha- what's happened in this meeting. The, the, the principles were, were made into an introduction. But by the way, I have to admit, it was pretty intimidating sitting across from Ms. Zeller Russ. It was, <laughs> but I'm very well-versed, and I can speak good in, public, in, in, you know, in, in a public setting, but we were sitting in that room waiting for them to come in, and it was pretty intimidating. However, I think everybody did very well that spoke, and everybody had a little piece to say. We try to do this in an effort, and, and we, try to, we try to take pieces uh, on what fits every, every company that was there. So we had a little introduction. We said who we are, how we came about to, to create these principles and submit them to the FDA as more of a commitment, right? This is not, a, there's no policy. There's no policing of this. There's no organization, no, nobody behind it. 
It's basically a commitment that these manufacturers signed, and more that list is going to grow exponentially, I think, when it's released publicly, that are willing to you know, have products on the market that want reasonable and fair regulations to keep the product on the market. And go back to what Ed said, you know, we want to let the FDA know that these are small businesses, which was part of the, of, of the intro and the closing statements. These are small businesses that want to remain in business, and we don't want the FDA, simply because of this marketing-to-issue perception that they have, to put a blanket over the entire industry and shut it down and hand, hand it over to Big Tobacco, all right? Mm-hmm. So we, we went through this, this entire uh, uh, principal presentation. took about 35 minutes. And, uh, you, know, we, you know, Aaron Peterson was there from Space Jam. To me, he was the perfect candidate, and when he spoke... He said, you know, when I started my company, I was 19 years old. No, Aaron was 19 years old when he started this, this, this empire that he has, right, with Space Jam Liquid. And he said publicly right there in the FDA, he says, it, as we grew as a company, we realized that the logo that we were using before was friendly, child-friendly with a little spaceman on it. And we changed our image and we changed our logo, and he's still selling e-liquid, by the way. I mean, it hasn't really affected his sales, right? Mm-hmm. So he was the prime candidate to say that. And Jeremy and, and Doug Hughes from Boilermaker, I mean, um, spoke on the retail aspect and how they try to control the product, uh, with, you know, by carding and restricting the youth access. Um, you know, I spoke specifically on you know how this group kind of kind of came together out of grassroots effort. It wasn't really anything that was tied behind an organization. And um, Daniel Walsh spoke. He spoke. He, he spoke very eloquently. Uh, he he got across the, the 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 flavoring as did Five Ponds. The Five Ponds were there. I mean, if you want to talk about an adult label. Something that I believe is clearly a definition of an adult label. Five Ponds spoke on how they started the company and who they're always trying to attract with their flavors and their, and their labeling as well, too. But he also spoke on how important it is for flavors to be around for adults to make the transition from combustible tobacco. So after the entire presentation, um, we, we tried to engage with Mitch Zeller and his staff. We sat there for another hour taking questions. Our meeting was supposed to be only, they granted us an hour. So the, the meeting actually went for an hour and 45 minutes, uh, hour and 40 minutes, I should say. So that's encouraging because after our presentation, they kept us for an hour and we kind of had this, this back and forth. And, uh, and Mitch Zeller specifically said that the agency is dealing with, you know, this product that is innovative technology. It's a disruptive product that's come along that, that, that has the potential to, to have benefits in public health. However, they're struggling with getting past this entire issue. Um, I asked him specifically, Russ, and here's the one key point that I want to get across. I asked him specifically, I said, there are manufacturers that want to do the responsible thing, that want to have their... But we need guidance. We need guidance from the FDA. You know, where do we draw that line? Where's that line where you look at a product and you say, this is marketing to children and this is marketing to, to, to adults, right? Because there is no definition of this. There is nothing that you can open up a book and says, well, if you're going to put, you know, this parrot on your bottle, it's going to be, you know, there is nothing out there. And obviously the FDA can't tell you because they'll be revealing the deeming regulations. So by law, they can't. But Mitch Seller said specifically, and I am going to word by word tell you what he said. I can't tell you where this line is, but it has to be a thick line. That's exactly what he said, Russ. Ask Jeremy and everybody that was there. It has to be a thick line. Now, we had two attorneys inside that obviously take some of this information that the, that the FDA gives back, and they try to decrypt it. Because some of the information, the questioning that they do, you can take it back and try to analyze it and see what exactly they mean. So what we have to determine as an industry is we have to determine what that thick line is and what side of that line do we want to have our products there. Is it going to be everybody coming on board on this? No. Is it going to be everybody agreeing with this? Absolutely not. 
It's always going to have people that just don't agree with that principle, and that's fine, and that's why this is an open source project. But we know directly from the horse's mouth, all pun intended, right from the FDA, that that's what we have to deal. David Ashley, the scientific director, spoke as well, too, because we try to determine the flavors and, you know, the, the marketing and the labeling. And he said that it's a, it's a combination of three things. It's the marketing, the labeling, and the flavors. Now, what this tells me is that flavors is not their number one priority, Russ. Just because of the way that he said it, right? He put flavors last. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't believe personally, this is my personal opinion, I don't believe personally that they have an issue with a cotton candy flavor. I think they have a problem when it's called cotton candy. Does that make sense? It does. So you can create, yeah, you can create a cotton candy flavor as long as it's not called cotton candy because the perception is that the cotton candy appeals to a youth crowd. It primarily appeals. That's the word I should be using. Primarily appeals to, to, to a younger crowd. So what we need to take a look at is the first two things, and that is labeling and, and, and marketing of the product. And I think those two combined correctly have the potential to show to the FDA that we do have products that are geared, geared towards adult smokers. Whether, again, it's, I had a great comment on my replay last, last, last week, Russ, from, from a gentleman, he's a doctor, that said it could be a combination of a few things. It could be that they're tired of going to the heel and, and getting slammed by these politicians, right? It could be that. It could be that there's a generation gap. These are people that are trying to regulate us that are 60, 70 years old. There's a generation gap. They just can't relate to why you would put, uh, you know, a, a child-friendly image on a nicotine bottle, right? Does that make sense? I mean, that, that, I think that's a good analogy. That was a great comment, that there is a generation gap between the 23-year-old smoker today and the 60-year-old person that went through the tobacco control era and, and seeing now the products that are being on the market as well, too. So, I mean, we have, we have a lot of stuff that is against us here that we could quite possibly easily, because it's an easy fix, as an industry stand up and as vapors and as vendors and as distributors stand up and say, well, we're going to take care of this problem by ourselves. We certainly can do it, but we have to commit to it. And we have to have that. You don't have to be perfect today. You don't have to have the perfect labels today. As long as you commit to getting there one day, and I think that's what the FDA wants to see. And on a closing thought, right, the fact that Mitch Zeller said that all this time, right, all this time, nobody has really approached him on the subject from the industry. Nobody. Like, they have this issue, and nobody has opened up to them and said, hey, how, how can we work together? How can we fix this problem, right? We opened up. We, we, we volunteered our time with them. We said anything that we can do from our side of the industry to make your job easier, you know, the, 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 uh, the line of communication is open now. But this is the first time out of all the meetings that the FDA has had with whoever the stakeholders in this industry, that we had to be a trade association, whether it be a nonprofit, whatever it's going to be, or even individual companies, this is the first time it was kind of addressed as, as the, you know, this is the topic of discussion. And, and again, it's not all doom and gloom, okay? We know a few good things. We know that they believe in this product, that it could potentially be, you know, good for smokers. We got that sense out of them. But the bad thing is that this is the number one hurdle as it stands today. Tomorrow it might be something else. But today, coming straight from Mr. Zeller and David Ashley and the rest of the staff there, is that the number one problem is the perception of marketing to kids. Um, let me put in my two cents, and then I'm going to uh, go to the other callers that have been patiently waiting. The thing that you said, that you quoted Zeller as saying, that I, I can't tell you where the line is going to be, but it has to be a thick line. Um, 
that's not particularly useful. This has been done in the past with obscenity law. Uh, uh, I, I forgot if it was a judge or, or a senator or some politician who famously quoted, um, you know, I, th that he can't define pornography, but he knows it when he sees it. You know, the, the, the thing is, strange thing is, is that with pornography, it's actually a lot easier to draw the line. Uh, without getting too graphic, you can probably you can probably imagine what they've what they came to as as regulations. Um, it's a lot harder with e-liquid uh, bottles and and and, uh, and e-liquid manu manufacturing uh, marketing because you can still do things like have a hand drawn logo. There's nothing wrong with with something that's drawn by hand as opposed to just text and uh, and and solid colors. You can do that. But at the end of the day, you can still you're still ending up with something that's drawn by hand that maybe looks like a cartoon, but it clearly isn't, and it clearly isn't marketed to children. So how do you draw that line? You have two things here: they're hand drawn images. One is I don't know of a. It doesn't matter, and that's the, and that's it, it. It it's impossible. It's really what he's asking for. Really is impossible, and maybe what we're asking for, you know. You can use the common sense, I know it when I see it approach, and I certainly know a bottle that can look attractive to a child and a bottle that doesn't, but how do you define that? How do you codify that? I don't know if it's possible. I, I, you're absolutely right. It's something that, that I struggle with every day, and I, I, I certainly, uh, all the manufacturers that I've talked to have the same struggle. Uh, but, you know, when, we're, when we had the initial discussion in Chicago, Russ, we talked about this line, right? Where, we, where do we find that line? And I think the only answer that I can give, and again, this is my opinion and nobody else's, um, is we have to walk a line together. Are you going to veer a little bit? Are you going to have a bottle that might be, uh, you know, uh, just leaning a little bit, you know, you know, just leaning a little bit over the right? Yes, you probably will. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We have to have a starting point. But then you have the ones that are to the extreme, Russ. And you can't deny that there's a lot of extreme labeling out there on the market. So yes. let's find a common ground where at least at least we can agree that this is a line and, you know, you can go to the left or to the right just a little bit, off step a little bit. And But we have to have a starting point. We don't even have a starting point. You know, all we're saying, Russ, is don't regulate us. That's not the reality. That's all we're saying. But we're not giving them anything either. We don't have anything to say, hey, listen, no, we're, we're taking steps. And if those steps are not sufficient enough, then the FDA is going to say, well, this is a good starting point, but you really need to go here, right? You know, or you need to add this or add that, right? And if we don't have anything to give them and we're going based on what they're going to regulate this product, we're done. I'm going to go back to the phones. We have a call from the 817 area code. 817, you're on the air. Hey, Russ, Demetrius, this is Steve Belcher in Mid-Cities Vapor in Fort Worth, Texas. How are you guys? Doing very well. Welcome. No, no, okay. Hey, Demetrius, uh, uh, thank you. That's that's one. That's first thing I'll say. Thank you for uh, thank you. for being a voice for the industry. It's uh, it's uh, it's amazing. I've had a chance to meet with you up at the Safada conference, and um, I do believe uh, wholeheartedly with everything that's going on uh, that you guys think yes, we don't need to be marketing to kids. It's not that we're actually marketing kids; we're actually selling to kids. But if you have a duck with a cigarette, a cartoon duck with a cigarette or e-cigarette in their mouth, you have a and and a. a, a a flying saucer with a cartoon character, which I know that's changing, but if you have that kind of stuff, and you have big tobacco, big pharmaceutical, big, huge medical society say, look, this is what's going on. Why are you allowing this to happen? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing uh, that uh, 
you know, us, you know, I have two stores and, uh, you know, I've never marketed, even my labels are very, they're nice. They're pretty labels, but they don't have any artwork to them. You know, it, it, it says the proper verbiage as far as warnings and things like that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the main, main point of my call was to, uh, ask you, Demetrius, what do you think, uh, you, you keep using the word manufacturers and things like this. I consider myself a medium-sized business, and I'm not, I'm not large. I'm, I'm trying to get the best I can, but, you know, we're medium. Steve, everybody's a medium-sized business, and nobody's big. Trust me, we might think that, might think some companies are big, but we're not big compared to what we're up against. We're all very, very small. Well, yeah, we're all very, very, very small, but let me ask you this. Uh, being at the, you know, the FDA platform, you being around ground zero with all, with all the uh, conversations and things with the FDA, you know, I'm, a, I'm an active member of you know of of most of the uh, advocacy groups from Baker Malicious Safadas as far as a as a as a you know industry advocate. Um, what do you think the chances of an in-house manufacturer that does follow uh, manufacturing practices? I can't say GMP because there really there's really no statute of production of what the FDA is requiring from us. But you know takes a clean a clean approach to making a Z liquids takes the testing very seriously the titration and things of like that. And uh, you know, sells between six and seven thousand bottles a month. Um, how uh, will that kind of industry survive? Will that kind of business survive? Are we going to have to be uh, only through? Or is only the strong going to survive in this business as well? I guess that's the word I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I wish I could answer. I mean, I I can answer it partially. I think that I I think that. It's unfortunate that through the entire hour and a half that we get to spend with Mitch Zeller and his staff, we didn't even talk about manufacturing practices. We didn't even mm-hmm. talk about the, the, the purity of the product. We didn't even talk about people mixing behind their counters. We, we couldn't even get to that. 90 seconds. The marketing to kids aspect, right? So I think, right. That, I think that as far as the deeming regulation rules are when they come out, I think we're, I think we're, we're, we're a way out, Steve. I think we still have you know, a long way out. There's going to be some litigation. There's definitely going to be some manipulation trying to, to allow even medium-sized businesses like you to, to stay on the market. Is that going to be a reality? Maybe, the, you know, no. The, the reality is that there's going to have to be some consolidation. 60. To regulate. It's, it's, it's impossible for them logistically to regulate 6,000 people that are making any liquid. It's, it's impossible. Right. So you can right. see some consolidations. You might have to join forces with another shop or another manufacturer. Three or four come together and say, we're all going to be making this product out of one facility, distributing it to our stores. And you're going to right. see that more and more. And as the industry develops and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you're going to see that some of the bigger players are going to absorb some of the smaller players as well, too. So that yeah. is just the nature of the business. It happens in every business, not just in our business. Uh, but sure, you know, yeah, I understand that. My advice to you would be just to continue to do the right thing. Continue well, to do the right. You know, try to do the right. I try to do the right thing. Like I said, I, 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 I've never bought outside liquid before. Uh, and, and number one, I like to use the word liquid, not juice, because that also feels a little negative sometimes. I yeah. use the word liquid. Uh, it's just, it's just my preference. Uh, Pen. Um, yeah, but um, you know, I do. I don't make it behind the counter. I have a dedicated facility in my in my in my stores uh, that you know it's set up as a kitchen. Yeah, that's the best best way I can put it because there really is no um, set set in stone uh, uh, what what they want. Um, that um, that is uh, that is the uh, the truth. I, I had uh, this conversation, Steve. Let me just interrupt you real quick. I had this conversation yeah. over the week when, where a guy came up to me and said, "Let me show you pictures of my lab." And, and he pulls out his phone and he starts showing me his lab. You know, he makes the liquid. And I said, "That's great." 
I said, but why are you doing it? <laughs> I mean, do you know something that I, I mean, if there's anybody that knows about regulatory, it's my job, right? I mean, do you know, well, you know something I don't know? Why are you spending all this money? You know, what, do you know what level ISO is going to be required, if it's going to be required at all? I mean, you, we just don't know. We have other issues to tackle before we get to that point of manufacturing right. the product as well, too. I think, I think the manufacturing is probably the easiest. You know, I agree with you. This, this should be regulated like a nutritional supply. You know, it's, it's something, it has to be, it can't be pharmaceutical and definitely can't be tobacco. So it has to be somewhere in the middle. But we just don't know at this point. Do the best that you can. Keep the best product that's available on the market and try to reach out smokers. To me, that's a successful business plan no matter which way you see it. And whatever exactly. happens, we can cross it when we, when we get to that point. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, there. You know, a classic example of a self-regulated industry that likes to be hated is the nutritional supplement industry. Uh, exactly. I was a part of that for seven. I was a part of that for seventeen years. I actually started fostering and lobbying for the uh, the Shea Act, which is the Dietary Supplement Health Act, uh, exactly. with Senator Waxman and uh, Orrin Hatch uh, right. back in the day. Kind of tells me my age, but you know, and it's constantly being. It's still constantly being, you know, thrown stones at. But that's one of the reasons why the energy drinks can get out there. You look at that little establishment mark on the energy drink said this has not been approved by the FDA. Uh, that is a that is a moniker that's used in a lot of stuff uh, when it comes to uh, what they can throw in under there. Anyway, I know you guys, I know uh, Russ, I know you got other calls. I just wanted to get my my two cents in. I do appreciate it. And I, I appreciate. Have a great. I night. appreciate the call. We do indeed right, have uh, have one more, uh, and the phones are uh, otherwise down. So Here. let's go to five seven zero area code five seven zero. You're on the air. Hey, Russ, I'm sorry. It's Chris calling back. I just got really upset about uh, Ed attacking Dimitri um, with this ridiculous fucking bullshit that Dimitri is trying to claim that uh, vendors are marketing to children. He has never claimed that vendors are marketing to children. Um, And all from my understanding, and I wasn't at the meeting, but from my understanding, what Seller was asking Dimitri and the other vendors to do was to create an environment where he can work with us. And if Ed can't understand that, I don't know what to do with Ed. All right. Well, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let Ed uh since you're talking to his argument, I'll let him answer. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, uh what is it that I don't understand? Ed, you you simply you don't understand what happened at the meeting. You're trying to claim that Dimitri has been making the argument that vendors are marketing to children, and that's simply not the case. It never has been the case. And simply all that Zeller was asking the vendors that were in attendance at the meeting for was to help create the environment where he could help us because he is being inundated by phone calls, emails, letters every day from our enemies that are claiming that we're marketing marketing to children. People in this industry, when they put lesbian pornography on the label of a bottle, they are creating the, the impression that we are not a legitimate industry. And we need to change that impression. We need to change it proactively. Uh, as, as a member of this industry, not an e-liquid manufacturer, but as a member of this industry, I'm very interested in doing that. Um, we don't, we should not have vendors stealing the intellectual property of companies that make uh, products, snack and candy products, that are intended for children, obviously, like Fruit Gushers, Sour Patch Kids, uh, and stealing that IP, 
scaling the label design and putting that on their bottle because uh, uh, it doesn't really take a whole lot of common sense to figure out that a small child that can't read very well could pick up a bottle that's labeled that looks exactly like a fucking Sour Patch Kids bag, pick it up and say, wow, this is something I should drink. Um, and on top of that, I mean, there's legal issues surrounding the violation of IP. This isn't genius. And this is what Dimitri is calling for, and yet you attack him again and again and again. And I'm, I'm fucking sick of it, quite frankly. Um, you should be a little bit smarter than that. I expected a little bit more from you, Ed. Yeah. Uh, I really don't think you're correct when you say that the FDA is in any way concerned about intellectual property rights. It has nothing oh, to shit. do with the FDA. Intellectual property rights, you think the FDA is concerned about that? Yes, I do. In fact, I do. They should be Wrong fucking agency. They're a governmental entity. And uh, yes, I think a governmental entity, to anyone with a wit of fucking common sense, would think that, yes, the FDA would be concerned about intellectual property and the fact that our but, industry is being portrayed as an illegitimate industry. Hold on a second. When two people talk at once, that means I turn the knob down because nobody can hear anything. Okay, Chris, I'm going to let Ed respond now. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah. Uh, intellectual property is the Federal Trade Commission. It's not uh, the FDA. Uh, they don't give a shit about if somebody uses somebody else's intellectual property. That's not even in the mix with the FDA. The FDA is, has – and when, when I, I have absolutely no idea what happened in that meeting. Absolutely correct. But I do know what Dimitri says, and I do know how often I've heard him say that the industry is fucked, that the FDA is in bed with RJR, and they've cut the deal. We're all going to be fucked and all this stuff. And then when he says, oh, look, we're marketing to kids, and, and, he, 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 you know, he, he, and he will uh, uh, parse it and then he'll no, flip no, back and forth. I, I, I have to step I think now it's just getting now, now you're out of line because I've never said that and obviously you haven't been listening to what I've been saying uh, I never so said I, I, I guess I'll have to go I through all of these clips show, and pull I, it back to you uh, I started this show by saying that I do not believe that anybody in this industry is marketing to kids that's how we started this show isn't that right Russ I heard that so for you to come and tell me that I said I marketing to kids obviously again you're trying to change my words around but anyway the perception here that we have in that room is that the FDA needs a protocol. We, as an industry, don't even have a protocol on the labels of nicotine products. And this is what Mitzeller said. As an industry, what have you done? What have you submitted? How are they going to go? How are they going to create regulation if they don't have a protocol? They don't have a base. We're trying to create that base for the FDA to say, listen, here's a start. This is a protocol. They go by, that's how regulation. We have no protocol at all. Do I believe that we're marketing to kids? Absolutely not. So don't you ever dare say that again. Ed, if I can chime in here, Ed, I think that the FDA probably has a cause for concern, not over the specific intellectual property issue, but if people are, are putting nicotine-containing liquid in bottles that look like the fucking packaging for child's candy and snack foods, I think they have a concern for consumer safety. They're not the Consumer Product Safety Commission, but certainly they have a, a, a concern about safety with that. Anyone with a wit of common sense would, yet some of these manufacturers don't. And you don't seem to understand that, and I'm not sure why, because previously to tonight I thought you were fairly smart, but I'm starting to get another impression. Go ahead, Ed. 
Yeah. The point that I'm trying to make is that you can there is always going to be bad actors in the market. There is always, and in our industry, we've got a lot of these groups that are pointing to us and saying they're marketing the kids. Now you got people saying, oh, look at all these things. It certainly gives the perception of marketing the kids. And then Dimitri will flip it back and forth, and, and I'll go through and pick out all the quotes if I really have to. But the, the, you know, there's a real confused message that you're sending out, Dimitri. I don't know what you said over there, but, I, but the industry, we, we cannot – rely on the worst of the industry to present to the FDA. We have to put our best foot forward. We have to do the best work. And and the, the other people will always be there, the Hello Kitty drip tips or whatever they want. If you change the labels, the anti-groups will come up with another thing to wedge against us. And you can't co-opt their arguments. And that's basically what I'm saying, Dimitri, is you are co-opting the anti-group's arguments. And then you're saying that we're fucked. You're, you're saying that we're fucked. Ridiculous. And you're saying that, that we're, we're, we're doomed. And you're saying that the whole industry is going to go down to two players. You're projecting a real screwed-up message. Think about it. I was not the only one that had that, that feeling after our meeting. In fact, I got the meeting that the FDA would rather give this industry to Big Tobacco because they have them under the control, and they feel that the Big Tobacco companies are more responsible than the product than our industry. And if yeah, that's just me saying it, that's 16 people that were in that room, okay? You and go. for you to say you want to have the – this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to show the FDA that they are responsible vendors. That's why this is open source. Anybody can join the movement they want if they feel – that they meet the criteria of being a responsible vendor. Anybody can join in. And that's what we're going to show to the FDA. Look at this list. It went from 25 vendors to 100 vendors in one week that are backing this document up. This is a start. This is the protocol. Are there going to be bad players out there? Absolutely. I told you that earlier. We're never going to be able to stop that. But we can't let that be the determining factor for the FDA to put deeming regulations on this product and take out all the good, responsible manufacturers that are out there and they want to sustain in this business and they want to have this product available for smokers. I'm gonna. Uh, That's what I did. I mean, Ed, maybe you should join this fray and uh, make some porno-inspired labels, uh, uh, because you don't really seem involved, want, wanting to be involved with saving our industry. Uh, uh, maybe you should do what you can to destroy our industry. Well, uh, hold on. I'm gonna give uh, Ed, Ed. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna, hold on. All right. Hold on a second. Ed, I am gonna give you the last word. Um, and Chris, that uh, was a little bit of a low blow. Ed has taken the time to fly to Washington D.C. and attend some of these meetings. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let Ed, you have, you can have the last word. Uh, I appreciate your show, Russ. Thanks. Go ahead. You can have the last word. No, that's, that's my last word. I appreciate your show. Thank you. All right. Um, okay, Chris, thanks. Thanks for calling in. Ed, thanks for calling in. We have one more call. Um, and then Dimitri, you can, then you can have the last word. Uh, caller in uh, the 317 area code. You're on the air. Hey guys, this is uh, Evan McMahon from Indiana. Hey Evan. Hey Evan, what's up? Um, first, uh, Dimitri, I just want to personally say thank you um, for what you're doing and uh, thanks to the other uh, manufacturers that went to meet with the FDA and to make that bold step. Uh, it's something that our industry needed to do um, to have that type of meeting uh, with those agencies. Um, it shows that we are a professional industry, um, that we are business uh, men and women, and that we take our products very seriously. So I personally want to thank you for, for doing that and then, you know, talking about it on social media and encouraging, um, you know, small to medium to large size vendors 
to uh, take this very seriously. So I, I commend you for it, and I thank you for it. Um, and Russ, it was uh, it was actually uh, uh, Justice Stewart who uh, said that, and it was a Supreme Court case. Uh, I know it when I see it, and it was on obscenity laws. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've been talking about is that they've clearly defined a test, the Roth test, to determine what's obscene. And one of the things that they look at is do the people in the community where it was produced or distributed find it to be obscene? Is it something that goes beyond their taste? Do they find it morally reprehensible is the phrase? If so, that's one of the clear cases of something being obscene. As a new uh, e-liquid manufacturer, I just launched my line last weekend, um, Liberation Vape. Um, that was something that was very important to me. Um, when naming my, my products, uh, my flavors, they're politically themed names. They don't have, you know, serial names in them. They don't have those things in them. And that was something that I kind of thought about. Um, you know, do I want my little nephew, who's two years old now, when he's 13, walking into a store and wanting to buy his uncle's products? And the answer is no. Um, Another thing that has happened uh, recently is yesterday I found myself in front of a city council um, fighting against a, uh, a vaping ban. Um, and all of the uh, supporters of the vaping ban, they really didn't talk about banning vaping in public. They talked about the use by teenagers. That's all it was. It was these flavors and these products, and that was all they talked about. Uh, I got up there and I talked about the the science behind passive vaping, um, that nicotine does not kill. Um, You know, talked about uh, Dr. F's studies on passive vaping and presented them with those studies. But in the end, we have to protect the children. And they ended up doing a sneaky maneuver and suspending the rules and held two votes at the same time to pass the the vaping ban. And on the news that night, it was all about protecting children from Mm -hmm. purchasing these products, even though this was about a vaping ban, a a, a use ban in public. had nothing to do with sales. We already banned sales. As a vendor, I want to do whatever I can to prevent that. I want to take that argument away from them. Um, I want them to have to rely on science, not emotion. Um, I want to be able to say, no, you have to talk about the fact that you are going to kill people by passing these things, that smokers are going to continue to smoke because they have no clear alternative. Um, That being said, here's my question. What more can I do? I'm familiar with Aristotle. Um, I have a background in political campaigns. We used Aristotle extensively. You're right, it is expensive, but as a vendor, I'm willing to take on that cost. Um, what else can I do? How can I help? What can I do to, to ensure my product is not seen as marketing to kids um, or getting in the hands of kids? Um, how can I be a responsible vendor, especially in this time when we're just basing it off of the idea of I know it when I see it? Um, that's the, those gray areas scare me. So how do we know and what can we do? Let me back up a little bit to what you introed tonight with. In 
Sonoma County, the band, the product, Flavored E-Liquid, and a lot of examples of bottles were shown in that meeting to determine that, and a lot of them had child-friendly labels. So we know it's an issue. Uh, and Cal- the California Senate just today uh, voted, uh, you know, overwhelmingly to, to restrict e-cigarettes as a tobacco products. If you read the article in the LA Times that talks about this, this Senate bill that was voted by Mark Leno in California, he's a Democrat out of San Francisco, Inside that article, half the article is spent talking about how these products are marketed to youth. Tobacco and vaping industries are marketing these. I'm just reading off the article. Are marketing e-cigarettes to young people with flavors including watermelon, tutti-frutti, and cotton candy while the vapor has nicotine derived from tobacco. Vaping is a gateway to cigarette smoking. Now we're exposing a whole new generation of millennials to the fashionable way of smoking tobacco in a way that's going to jeopardize their lives. These are, these, these are politicians making these statements. And it is unfortunate, just like you said, when you go into a council hearing to talk about the benefits of tobacco harm reduction, and you can't get even past the child argument. We can't even get past it to, to give them the facts. And, and what, what's really beneficial here is, is saving the people of California or in your state or in the city that you're going to go. The industry that has created this, you know, let's be honest, on social media, the loudest people are the youngest people that know how to use social media. There is a lot of this vaping culture that is geared towards the 18, 22, 23-year-old crowd. I mean, we can't deny that. That's who you see the loudest, and that's who you see the most in social media. That perception is there whether we want it or not, okay? And it is unfortunate that people like you and me that are trying to advocate this product can't get past this. That was my goal of going to the FDA. That was my goal of setting up this movement of trying to create a protocol to go and open up that door to say, hey, listen, we hear you. We want to address the issue. We want to work with you. We want to find what the proper way of us to market our product is. What is going to satisfy the FDA to have reasonable and fair regulation? What can you do? Well, we're going to open up this. This is a movement that's, again, not backed by anybody. It's not policed by anybody. Here in the next 24 to 48 hours, we're going to have a website up that is going to be open source. It's going to have the set of principles on there that we submitted to the FDA. You as a manufacturer of e-liquid or a vendor can go on there, sign it, submit your name, upload the logo of your company, and have it on that website. Why did we do that? Okay, why did we do that? The effect of having those logos on the paper when I showed it to the FDA is the same effect that, you know, that paper that ha- that, that floated about a month and a half ago where all these American Lung Association, American Cancer Association, were asking for tougher rules on electronic cigarettes. And, you know, if you look at that paper, it had all these logos, you know, from the, from the various nonprofit associations across the states that are against, you know, they want tougher restrictions on electronic cigarettes. So we try to basically copy what they did and use it to our advantage. Hey, look, look at all these logos that are on this paper. These are all companies that are committed to open that door of communication with the FDA, to find that protocol, to find that fine line that we can walk along with the agency to be able to have this product on the market and be able to, be, to, to sell it. So that would be my first step to you. That's what I would tell you. Join the movement. This is an open source. It's an open dialogue. This is, this is something that we all collectively can sit down in a room. And I saw it, Evan, I saw it in Chicago. I mean, you're getting 16 manufacturers in a room, right? And you know, there's always going to be bickering and dick measuring conference. We didn't have any of that. What we try to find is what can we agree on, right? I'm going to tell you the easiest way. We said, we don't sell our products to, to, to persons under the 18. Does everybody agree? Boom. There you go. We found something that everybody agrees. And we all said, this is a good thing. We need to have it on our, this is exactly how we're going to proceed with the FDA as well, too. We need to have our voice heard. 
We need to have our products be appealing, definitely appealing to the adult smoker, but we don't have a definition of what that is. How are we going to get a definition if we can't open up a door to the FDA, which is going to regulate this product? Am I right? I so, agree wholeheartedly. And one of the scary things is, is without us as an industry coming together to try to create that fine line, they're going to create it for us. And what we will end up having are like the products overseas where it's plain packaging and it's just taxed on it. That's the and point I was trying to make earlier well, with Tom. Well, it's true that a good, that a good e-liquid is, is, you know, flavor first. There is brand recognition that comes from having a good logo, uh, from having a catchy name. You know, those things do matter. Um, you know, you do have to have some marketing, but it is, you're, you're absolutely right. The tasting bar, you don't see the label. But I don't want my product to be in a sterile white package with just the name in bold letters. <laughs> nobody wants that either. I, trust me, nobody yeah. wants that either. I, obviously, we know how marketing works, and we know why this product has worked for, 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 the, for the millions of smokers now that have discovered it. We know that. But again, this is the one thing that we're getting hammered on, and we can't, as an industry, do a fucking thing about it. We can't come together and say, this is something that we can all agree on. Do we agree that this is an issue? Let's see how we can work to fix it. We have to have a starting point. We have zero. So I would suggest go sign this document when it's available online. We're going to try to collect as many signatures that we can, at least on these principles. And I think this is something that the industry can do and self-regulate itself. If more and more vapors see these companies committing to it, I think we can change the vapor stance. Were there going to be, as Tom said, were there going to be companies out there that could be putting bad product on there? Yeah. But listen, if nobody's buying it to sell into the vape shops, and if the vapors are not buying it, guess what? They're going to have to make the change as well, too. So this is a way of triggering a change among the industry that I believe is much needed. Again, that is my personal opinion. But then again, it's something that we heard extensively from Mitch Zeller and his staff in the FDA. So obviously the problem exists. Let's see how we can fix it. So get on there. Put your logo on there. Be, be committed to these principles. Advertise it on social media. Don't be afraid of the bad. Just like Jeremy. Jeremy had balls to go out there and do this on social media. He got a lot of backlash for it. But he's standing behind it. And everybody that's in that room has each other's back. They're coexisters, they're not competitors, and they're all there because they want to sustain their business. They all want to be around when the FDA drops these regulations. And I think, Evan, I really believe that we can make a change. I think that we can at least have a good portion of the e-liquid distribution doing the right thing in the United States. And if we can show that to the FDA, there's another proof that the industry can self-regulate. Evan, I got a question for you. I, I think uh, that, Evan, let me just yeah. ask you a question because we're going to wrap up here. But I, I think I remember you saying that you just recently started an e-liquid line and you're in the state of Indiana. Is that correct? Yeah, are you going to ask me if I'm going to move? <laughs> I'm the, well, I was going to ask you if you have a death wish. <laughs> well, actually, the, the history of it is um, I actually started my, my company back in December and immediately um, stopped everything to kind of take on a full-time advocacy role and fought with a lot of other vendors a lot of manufacturers here in the state tried to fight this. Um, we were up against a different type of evil. We were up against um, somebody with millions of dollars coming from a very powerful family with powerful friends who was trying to create a monopoly for their own company um, and trying to create um, kind of the beer baron laws within Indiana mm -hmm. uh, for e-liquid. So it was a, a much different type of fight. Um, it's, it's going to be hard here um, in Indiana. It's, um, 
it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be expensive to be an e-liquid maker in Indiana. Um, the fight's not over. Um, there's already one uh, federal lawsuit filed. Uh, we're going to be filing uh, an additional federal and state lawsuit. We're going to continue to work with the legislatures. And actually, there have been a couple of legislators who have now realized that they were duped, that they were lied to, things that they were told that had been fixed in the bill that were, you know, not fixed in the bill, which is just further proof that they have no idea what they're doing in the state house, have said they're going to work with us to fix it in January. Um, so the fight's not over. Uh, what I can say is that within the past month, I've personally met and talked with four new startups here in the state of Indiana. So while it's a scary time and while it's an expensive time, um, Hoosiers aren't ready to give up that fight. Um, I was born and raised here in Indiana. I'll be damned if my company has to move to uh, Soviet Illinois uh, to uh, produce its product. I'm going to keep fighting here until they come and drag me out of my, my facility. Um, so uh, we're going to keep fighting. Evan, I'm coming, uh, I'm coming in August to, to Indiana. And and I'm planning on putting an advocacy panel uh, on there because I, I really believe that uh, you, you still can win in Indiana, but it's going to take everybody coming together, united under one force, something that I suggested, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago and just didn't happen. I think that you have a great chance of, of that statement you just made. I'll be damned if I have to move. I, th I think that that has a great chance of being a reality. However, you're up against monsters you're up against multi-billion dollar companies it's going to take every manufacturer every vape shop and every vapor in indiana to come together and fight for your product you can't do it alone and 10 vendors can't do it alone up against you know i mean you know i've spent a lot of time analyzing this indiana situation i even got scared <laughs> on some of the shit that i saw with some of these people that are associated with right so we know what we're up yeah. against, and, and hopefully I look forward to meeting you maybe in August and we sit down and try to develop a plan. I want to help as much as I can uh, develop a plan to, to counterattack this. I think we can win. I, and I want, to, I want to state that, you know, there was a, there was a core group of, of manufacturers and vendors that spent literally almost every day in Indianapolis. Um, they, they basically moved into hotels by the state house um, uh, for the entire term of the session. Um, but beyond them, there was uh, approximately between 100 and 150 vendors uh, and manufacturers throughout the state who were all pulling together. Um, it was, you know, no amount of pressure from us was going to change things at that time because there was millions of dollars spent over the past year and a half uh, trying to create this monopoly. Uh, you know, and I, I can perfectly say the name because it's on record now, uh, Monument Vapor uh, and, um, and the company, Indiana Vapor Company, owned by uh, a kid whose father is almost a billionaire. Mm -hmm. They partnered with uh, the casino industry and the packaged liquor distributors, that's liquor stores, to create a monopoly and to try to create a three-tier system in Indiana. It wasn't, I mean, Big Tobacco had their hand in it, but it was mostly to make sure that they were exempted. But yeah. this was a despicable, evil, uh, corporatist um, slime ball here in Indiana who used his power and influence to create a monopoly for his kid. 
Um, and so they spent a lot of time and money on this. And the other people got into it, the other industries got into it because they, they're in monopolies. And they go, oh, hell, here's a, here's a booming industry. They're wanting to create a monopoly. Let's get our hand in it while we can so that we can be part of that monopoly. And, you know, through lawsuits, some of the things that they did in this, in this law are just ridiculous. I mean, one of the scary things is the permit to become a manufacturer um, that you have to have by July 1st of 2016 will not be available until January of 2016. So you have this very short window to apply because uh, you can't apply until all the rules are set and the application is available. Then they have 60 days to approve an application. If uh, you don't have a permit by June 30th of 2016, you can never get one. It says in there that the ATC shall accept permits and issue shall accept applications and issue permits until June 30th of 2016. That's a clear violation of the law in Indiana. Oh, yeah. There are many others um, that are clear violations of the law. And basically, their goal, the other side's goal, is hoping that we run out of time or money in this fight. They're hoping we can't survive to July 1st of 2016. Because they don't want these law, this law in place either come July 1st of 2016. Believe me, they don't want to be the only person that has to pay for this system of enforcement. Um, so they want the law changed as well. Um, but they just want us to die off before then. So we've actually come together. Um, you know, the public doesn't get to see this because um, it's all done, you know, I hate to say this, in a secretive cabal group of vendors from around the state who are all pulling together sharing resources, helping each other out, answering questions, you know, shop owners going to the grand opening of other shop owners. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really become a community public. here. It should be made public for various reasons. But number one, you need to show that you're united and you need to show that you're economic impact. You need to let the legislators know that you're organized. You need to have one common voice. You need to have a spokesperson. You need to have this made public so the vapors can get behind you and know that you're doing something about it. So they can get passionate and get fired up as well, too. This has to be in the public eye. You need to get in the newspapers. You need to get in media. Let everybody know the non-smokers, the non-vapers. Let them know what's happening in their state. People are willing to help you. I mean, prime example for me would be when I went to a council hearing here and we were able to defeat a, a, a usage ban, I brought up perfectly because most of the audience was they, didn't, they weren't there for the vaping ordinance. But I said, is this overreaching a little bit for the council? I mean, what are you going to do next? Are you going to ban sodas? Are you going to ban, you know, uh, short uh, pants go below your, your butt? You know, stuff. I was using examples like that. And then the audience, you saw them perk up because they, they're afraid of their own freedoms and their own rights as well, too. So we got public behind us that doesn't smoke, it doesn't vape. And this is exactly what you need to do in Indiana. And you have to be public about it. And we've, we've been very public with, like, the Hoosier vapors. Um, all of that has, has been... You know, very publicly been encouraging um, uh, people with, you know, customers to get involved. Um, every store in the state has had, had advocacy nights. They've had, um, you know, ways for people to get involved, including like, hey, I'm going to give you a, you know, 10% off or 25% off if you call your legislator right now in the store. Um, you know, getting people to register to vote. 
Um, it's been very active. When I say secretive, I mean there's a group, there's a private group for vendors and shop owners to communicate with each other about strategy and helping each other and those sorts of things. Um, as far as like the advocacy side uh, and fighting legislation and letting people know what's going on, that has been very public uh, and getting people involved. Well, Evan, um, um, you certainly, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, just sadly, taught me a few things about the law that were even more despicable than all the things I already knew. So thanks for the education and thanks for your thanks for your call and thanks for uh, what you're doing. And I, and I wish your business the best of luck and you need it, as you know. Um, but I wish you luck and I yeah. really appreciate the call. Thank you so much for calling in. Thanks, Evan. You, buddy. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. There he goes, everybody. Evan from uh, Liber Liberation Vapes. He needs the plug. There, <laughs> right. What a mess up there, bro! <laughs> it's horrible. Well, um, I think you I think you said it all, but uh, I'll I'll give you the last word here, Dimitri. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put this out there as well, too, because we're seeing it. We're starting to we're seeing this this child issue starting to affect state by state as well, too. Sonoma County out in California is a perfect example. Listen, if we don't do something, if they start in states restricting flavors, what the hell are we going to wait? We, there's no use in waiting for the federal regulations to come because the product will be dead by then. And I think maybe this is something that that people really need to wake up to. Uh, when states are enacting laws on flavored e-liquid, that makes the FDA's job easier. Maybe that's why they're taking so long to drop the regulations. I listened to your episode, Russ, a couple of weeks ago where you were talking with Kevin and you know, what's going to come and what's going to be allowed and what the deeming regulations are going to be. Maybe we don't even have to get to that point yeah. of for the dealing regulations because we're going to have these states enact the various bills that are going to, uh, to chokehold the industry. This movement, this, 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 this commitment that, that kind of got started from a grassroots effort, just a few vendors talking, talking about the issues that we have, and it's developed into what's developed right now, is an issue that is right now our number one threat on a federal level and at a state level as it's appearing to be, along with the other shit that's coming from, from RJR. So I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Again, I have to reiterate, this is not an organization. This is not a policing body. This is not an aim to a spot or anything. It's just a group of manufacturers that are willing to commit to some principles in the manufacturing of their e-liquid. It is open source. Anybody can join the movement that they want. I am going to support everybody that's on the list. I personally shook the hand of everybody that was in that meeting with the FDA the other day, and I assured them that as me, Dimitri, even though I represent an e-liquid manufacturer in meetings like that, they have my full support and my full backing because I know, Russ, one company can't do it by itself. There's no way that one individual e-liquid e manufacturer is going to sustain and the other one are going to go away. It's going to take a core group of manufacturers that are willing to stand up and open up that door with the FDA to create a reasonable structure for the marketing, obviously the manufacturing and the marketing of these products and the distribution of these products in this country. And that's what I am attempting to do with this group of people. I want to thank everybody that participated. I want to thank all the manufacturers that came with it. I couldn't have done without them. And I hope when this thing goes public here in the next couple of days that we see an overwhelming response to it. And already we're seeing in, in social media stuff that, that's happening that's, that's really creating a shift in the marketing and the change. I've seen a lot of companies get behind this. So to me, that only shows that a lot of people wanted to do this and nobody stepped up to do it. And now it's time to do it. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, you can normally hear Dimitri every Wednesday night on 9, Wednesday night right here on at uh, Vapor's Place. 
at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Smoke Free Radio. He won't be there tomorrow, but otherwise you'll hear him there every week. And I thank you so much for your advocacy and for your um, companionship tonight. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate it. We need to hang out and have some uh, Chinese poker. Oh, I got to teach you a new way. There's a new way. It's yeah. taking, taking over the city. Yeah. There he goes, everybody. It's it took me two hours, <laughs> two hours to learn that one. <laughs> there he goes, everybody. My friend, Dimitri. <laughs>